OTB Sports Rugby. Do you want to just take it easy, keep the emotion in check? That's not, not what sport is about. It's about emotion. It's about singing your national anthem with pride. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Monday morning, and uh, it was a pretty busy weekend of sport, all told. I don't even know if we're going to get time to talk about John Ram being the greatest golfer since there was, like, a really good golfer. He used to win almost every tournament he played. I'm not sure we're going to get a chance to talk about the new president of the GEA. I'm not even sure we're going to get a chance to talk about the uh, club rugby, but we will try to uh, squeeze all that over the course of the uh, next two hours. Uh, Shane is here. Shane, good morning to you. Good morning. How are things? Kathleen's here as well. Morning, guys. And Kathleen's feeling pretty smug about life. Uh, what can I say? What can I say? It was a nice weekend. It did look a little bit disastrous for a while, I won't lie, but uh, once it got to the 19th minute, Arsenal finally came through, and then, of course, Connor GA. Absolutely roaring weekend for them, so love looking at that Division 1 table and just seeing three different Connacht heads up there. And Sligo 1, which is always good as well. There you go. Uh, Shane? The time for Ulster football is dead. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm, I'm just getting carried away. Uh, Connacht, Connacht has taken over as the most exciting province, the way the teams are playing. Um, and yeah, on Arsenal, I think you don't win a Premier League title without exciting games like that, where it looks like you're going to lose and you come back and win an injury time. It's a sign of a winning team, lads. I told you last week, the league's not over. Everyone was crowning Manchester City after the, the game last week, but uh, it's, not, it's far from over. Time for us to crown Manchester United, though, right? <laughs> As Carabao Cup winners, potentially. Well, you were like, oh, they're not in the title race, they're not in the title race. Is that just like some kind of weird double jinx? No, no. They're, they're not in the title race yet. I think they're, they're, they're certainly in contention, but the race is between two clubs as things stand. No, it's not. Well, United are the team in form of those three at the moment, but they're going to have to... Why, I, honestly, are you, are you, like, you don't have a, an impact in... Your words won't have an impact on the title race here, Shane. <laughs> well, I know that. I, I, I genuinely believe Arsenal and City just have overall have been the best teams this season. Yeah, but I think United... We're halfway through the season and the form of Manchester United is better than the form. Anyway, we should probably save this for yeah. the performance rankings, but like, you, you've got to be feeling yourself. Certainly feeling it. United, United are... Uh, there's a bit, bit of excitement. Ten Hag walking off the pitch giving it loads. You see that? Uh, the man yeah. is... The man is... He's changed the atmosphere around the club. Telling everyone to get behind the team on Thursday night at Barcelona. Pierre doesn't think that's a good thing, though. Well, it, in certain circumstances... If you lose the run of yourself, it isn't. Yeah, uh, he certainly would lose lose, lose the run of himself. I, I, I Seems think like a more composed man on the sideline. Yeah. Um. I, anyway, look, we we these Arsenal are in the green, so we're going to get to it. Yeah. It's seven thirty-two. Here's coming up between now and ten o'clock this morning. Um. We've got Anthony Moyles coming up after the. Well, sorry, we can start there. Yeah. Ben Jacobs at five past eight. Sports pages at twenty-five past eight, uh, which will involve some Ulster football chat. Um. After the sports pages, we have Sports News and Anthony Moyles at 8.50, Alan Quinlan at 10 past 9. If you have questions for Moylesy or Quinlan, time to get them in now. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. You can only comment on that if you're subscribed. And uh, you can also tweet us at off the ball AM. But it is time for this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances, but just lack that intensity. Here we go. 
Uh, before we get started, we should mention a couple of things that we're not going to get to. As you said, Jer, there's Jarrett Burns, um, there's Rugby, there's John Ram, there's Liverpool, who had a brilliant win over Newcastle, and they're, let's be honest, within reach of the top four now. There is Marcus Rashford in the form of his life, probably the, the most informed footballer in the world right now, certainly in Europe. Uh, Israel Alatunde breaking the Irish 60-metre record, uh, trouncing it, in fact, by four one-hundredth of a second, which doesn't sound like much, but it is at that level. Uh, and then Seamus Coleman for his goal that he definitely meant in Everton's 1-0 win over Leeds. Why is there any doubt about this? Like, he's a footballer who's played 400 Premier League games. <laughs> I think, there I is think when, he, when he kicks the ball in the direction of the goal, he probably intends to kick the ball in the direction of the goal. Why is there any doubt about this? Oh, he definitely meant it. He looks up, and he probably has done his research, and Ilan Melier probably knows he likes to stand a little bit off the line. He's a big man, so we can afford to do that. But uh, in this instance, Jesus, it... Uh, it didn't. It didn't pay off, as Colm said before the before the show. It was it was Roberto Carlos, but from the other side. And uh, I mean, he, he couldn't have. He said after the game himself, "I meant it." Now, if I hit it another twenty, thirty times, it probably wouldn't go in. So it was perfect. But um, there's no doubt that he meant it. And everyone in Everton clearly loves him because the reaction to the goal was just brilliant. I do think it's interesting that every time a new manager comes in, uh, they don't always pick him for their first game. Although Dyche did, but eventually they make sure that they have him in the team week in, week out. Like every single one of those parade of mediocre managers has decided that they if as they are about to lose their job the one person that they can trust who is around the club is Seamus Coleman and uh, he's rewarding the faith of Sean Dyche yeah it's attitude even when he's sitting on the bench you can see that Seamus Coleman is a leader in that Everton team so he's not in the performance ranking he's not that's, that's a bit of an oversight we just had to mention that's a bit of an oversight yeah. Evergreen Seamus Coleman we should have like a section where yeah. He's just in it every week. But, okay, who else? Uh, yeah. Did you feel any guilt about leaving anybody else out? Uh, not really. I, th- I think Liverpool and United, look, had good weekends, but uh, certainly there's an argument for all of the, the inclusions that we have this morning. So we might start in the red and Chelsea, and I think Chelsea deserve to be in the red this morning because they had a howler yet again. Everyone's looking at this game. Oh, Stafford Bridge, Southampton at home, Southampton in relegation trouble. What an opportunity for Graham Potter to uh, address things that are, that are going wrong. And it just wasn't good enough. Um... There's this bit of a siege mentality vibe I'm getting from Graham Potter at the moment. I have the quotes here from him at, uh, at full time. Uh, he says the criticism is understandable. We've had a tough period and are integrating a lot of young players. Excuses. A lot of people will say I'm the problem. And I'm not saying that their opinion is not worth articulating. My job is to work. What is it? Uh, they've won two of their past 14 games. Uh, the issue I would have here is the team that Graham Potter picked. So he's rested Thiago Silva, Rhys James, Kukurea, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Hakim Ziyech. Six changes to the Borussia Dortmund game. I saw someone on Twitter describing it as a, it was a bit of a Carabao Cup team, as in, why are you making so many changes for a Premier League game that means so much? You're at home. You're against Southampton. Did you get ahead of yourself? Did you think we were going to win this game easily? Ruben Sellers has changed things at Southampton. And then, of course, James Ward-Prowse gets the free kick in front of the goal. And we know what happens from that point on. So, uh, Fernandez, Kovacic, overrun in midfield. Uh, couldn't get the ball to Joao Felix properly whatsoever. Mason Mount struggled. Aubameyang sitting at home. Well, uh, 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 the team that he picked is good enough to win. The the changes, like, uh, but why you can't make like you, you, can, you don't see the top teams making six changes. Well, you you I mean like from a European match midweek, sometimes you do see them two make, or three make maybe. these types of changes. Potter as well hasn't really settled on like who his players are, like who are his dependables in that team, who are the ones are going to pull out a performance for him because realistically, all of them have been pretty rubbish all season. There are too many of them. There's also that. <laughs> well, that, that's a good excuse for. Sorry, and I mean a legitimate excuse for Potter. Like he's been handed this by Todd Bowley, a half a billion pounds worth of players. He doesn't have a striker, by the way, in that half a billion, and he does. Aubameyang sitting at home. Um, but 
you kind of feel sorry for Potter in that instance. Like, how is he supposed to bring in all these players? How is he supposed to keep all these egos happy? And there are a lot of egos in that Chelsea dressing room. And uh, I don't really feel hit. that sorry for him, though. Like, he knew what he was getting himself into with Chelsea, going to that team in terms of how they have been performing the last while, in terms of the ownership, what was expected, like all the reasons that Tuchel left in the first place. And I'm sure Graham Potter being in those circles probably knows a lot more about it than we do on the outside or like anything that comes through the media. So I do think he kind of knew what he was getting himself into. And he either backed himself completely to be able to stand up to the ownership and say, this is the sort of team that I want. Or he thought that he was able to bring the squad around. And neither of those things have happened. And I think there has been this sort of attitude towards Potter a little bit where it's like, oh, he was handed a raw deal. and But when he first went, there was plenty of people questioning the fact of is he actually good enough to be manager of Chelsea at this stage? There was obviously some talent there and maybe a more of a raw talent than the sort of manager that normally goes to Chelsea. But I think, if anything, the last couple of months has proven that he's not really up to taking on a mess like that. Yeah. Todd Bowley's also in that range now where stories are coming out and whether or not they're true, they're believable. The bit about him assuming that they would qualify for the Champions League is doing the rounds at the moment, first published by Popovich about 10 days ago. They're intense, like. And, uh, but it, 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 the point about the story is that Bowley didn't realise that they're not automatically in the... That's the ah, right. Is. It's the same allegation like about him didn't realize. Okay. picking the four four three earlier on in the season and you're like, oh, uh, you know, someone going to tell him. So, I, look, the thing, these, these stories may well not be true, but they're all believable because... They have yet to show that they have a plan in place around the acquisition of talent. And I mean, like, I don't know, the stories I read are like, oh, they've signed this 20 year old or 18 year old. He's like a very important part of their midfield regeneration. I'm like, that just sounds like you're just parroting the lines from the club, lads. Mm. Just sounds like somebody at the club is giving you the information. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Because they haven't really been held to account, have they? No, no. Like, if this was Man United... Well, even the is it Neymar, the meetings that they had during the week when they were over there, and, like, Bowley just went over, had lunch with different people trying to get Neymar to sign for Chelsea. And you're like, how many more... How much more money can they spend? Because Neymar's not going to come cheaply. But he's completely the wrong player for them as well. Yeah. yeah. The like, mood music has changed. The, the, the boos at Chelsea a few weeks ago when they were losing were centred around probably the board and a bit of a mess. The boos of the weekend were... Graham Potter focused like there was literally an element of Potter being called to be sacked f- literally walking down the tunnel you quite audibly hear it and the journalists at the ground were reporting it as well that that's what was being shouted at Potter uh, you're looking at the odds of the sack race here he's 1-4 to four to be the next manager sacked in the Premier League Gary O'Neill is 4-1 to one, so he's nowhere close to second favourite to be sacked um, so he's in trouble and, and look they'll, they'll wait and see what happens in the, uh, the Champions League this week can they progress or next week, like that's going to be fairly important. Uh, and I, I feel if Chelsea are knocked out of the Champions League, and, there's a good and chance they will be. There will be. They, they, they probably will be if they keep playing like this. Um, but it, it's just it's prolonging the inevitable. I think I, I was I was a big fan of Graham Potter going to Chelsea. I thought he'd, he'd do a good job. Uh, I thought the turtlenecks brought a, a sense of gravitas to him as well. He, How far away are you from wearing a turtleneck? I'm I'm a long way off turtleneck. Days, days, that's all. Yeah, I couldn't pull it off. You will. I, I mean, pulling the um, the zip top up is kind of turtleneck. Yeah. It's in preparation. You're laying the, the framework here. Groundwork. So yes. We expect to see less and less of your neck as time goes on. Did you guys not promise a couple of weeks ago that turtleneck season was coming fairly sharpish? I'll wear one. I'll wear one for a bet or for charity or something. <laughs> 
totally a great, uh, totally a great initiative. But uh, yeah, no, I, I maybe will wear one at some point. Uh, all right, so Chelsea. Chelsea are in the red. Yep, also in the red. Donegal. I was walking out of Clonus yesterday uh, afternoon at St Jurnix Park, and uh, there was a little tiny baby on the on the back of his uh, wearing a Donegal hat on the back of his dad's uh, shoulders, and the baby was doing a lot of smiling. And I was thinking, this is this is a cute baby, Donegal baby. And myself and my dad were commenting about the fact that you know when you're that young, like Donegal have just lost, but the baby doesn't care because he doesn't know. Um, his dad turned around and and he's like, oh, off the ball. And I was and he, the only thing he said to me was. Please don't put Donegal in the red ah. tomorrow morning. And I said, I won't, I won't. They won't be in the red. You lied. I, I unfortunately, to that man, I apologise. And to his cute baby, I apologise this morning. But we have to put Donegal in the red, uh, not just because of what happened on the pitch yesterday at St. Jernix Park, but, but also, I guess, everything that's going on off the pitch. It's a bit of a mess. And uh, I was reading articles uh, earlier in the week, uh, before the weekend, ahead of the game, and, and Donegal Live had a a headline that really sums it up, Chris McNulty wrote a piece and he said, Donegal GEA is at one of the most critical crossroads in its history. You look at all the players in that Donegal Academy and the mess that's going on at the moment with Carl Lacey leaving the simmering row that, uh, that started with his departure on February 3rd, lack of support from the county board. We've heard nothing from the Donegal county board at the moment. Um, and, and that was kind of just hammered home by the defeat yesterday on the pitch, which, which, which wasn't great. Donegal... A lot of people's favourites to go down, maybe along with Monaghan from Division One this year. Yesterday was a, was a, was a must win for both teams, and Monaghan got over the line by eight points, uh, fairly convincingly in the second half. But I'd be I'd be very very concerned if I was a Donegal fan. But the uh, Paddy McBrady hamstring injury also requires surgery, and recovery from that's going to be very difficult. Like when you think back to just how excited they were with the opening round of the league, where McBrady finishes off a move deep into stoppage time to win the opening round of league fixtures against the All-Ireland champions mm. and so many of the young players who looked really vibrant and great and you're like okay this is actually all going to be fine since then as you said off the field whatever's going on and I, I don't know enough about it but it doesn't seem great when somebody as highly rated as Carl Lacey is walking away and then everybody else walks away too uh, that seems like it's uh, a pretty drastic situation and then you add in the fact now that it looks very ominous for them and there'll be a Division 2 team next year. And just the slow, steady climb back is always difficult. So um, the post-Michael Murphy era is as bleak as it could have been for Donegal. Yeah, like th- there were some some bright shoots yesterday. I was watching Caelan McGonigal as a brilliant player. He was the guy who was man of the match against Kerry and stood beside McBrearty on TV afterwards doing the interview. He, he was kind of, he picked, up, picked up a bit of a knock yesterday, was taken off eventually. Michael Langan's a brilliant player. Uh, Gallon's a brilliant player. They have some really, really good footballers. Darrell Boyle as well, I really like. So they have them there. Ryan McHugh is another lad who hasn't come back, of course, from injury yet. Along with McBrearty, he was very much absent yesterday. Um, but I would just be very, very worried about about Donegal and and, and the year ahead. They're they're, they're not going to do much. Let's be honest. And look, it's a new manager in charge. You'll give Paddy Carr a bit of time, but he's been handed a raw deal when you have Michael Murphy retiring. Um, but the, the the simmering row that's going on behind the scenes and and the quote, sorry, when the the collective statement from all these coaches that were retiring as, or, uh, resigning. As a group, we've lost all confidence in governance of Donegal GEA. So the coaching, performance, logistics staff, all quitting. The only ones staying on board were the, were the ones over the, I think it was the 17s and 20s teams maybe, that were still ongoing in their, in their um, campaigns. So they just didn't want to cause disruption for those players. So they stayed, in, uh, stayed on board. Uh, whatever's happening, um, Donegal GEA need to come out and say something. 
To put it in context as well for people who haven't like listened to the story, it's like up to 40 coaches apparently have resigned across the county. You know, it's not just like a couple of teams worth of coaches, like 40 coaches. That's a lot of people to follow out one person. And it just shows like how deeply rooted the mistrust in Donegal GAA must be at the moment. It's, it, it's concerning. It's very, very concerning. And you'll give them a little bit of leeway on the pitch. Um, like they have a big game next. I think it's Galway they have up next. That's a big game. Um, but they're staring Division Two down the barrel. Look, it's not the wor- it's not the worst thing in the world going down to Division Two. Dublin and Kildare down down there this year. Yeah, it'll not yeah. do them any damage. Well, you know, uh, is there a Talton Cup in their future in, in the next couple of years? If you, like you don't arrest this slide all of a sudden. Yeah, you don't want to get two, two relegations. You know, if and if you're drawn next year in the preliminary round of Ulster, you've got a long way to climb out to be um, able to make it to. Sam McGuire, uh, the chickens coming home to roost, lads. But anyway, yeah. Um, Ten Hag has lost a run of himself, getting very confident, says Connor Joyce in our comments. Man United have the most points in the league since the third game after the two opening disasters. Obviously, those two counts, but it's still interesting. I mean, yeah, there's always ways to cut the season so that you're the champions. Calendar year since ex manager came in, post World Cup, post World Cup. Mm. Marcus Rashford's the greatest footballer in the world. Um, Sorry, losing the run of himself. How? Like, is that, a, is that meant in a negative sense, I wonder? Because there's, no, there's nothing about Ten Hag's demeanour at the moment that I would construe as He celebrated negative. at the end, Shane. That's oh, more than enough. Jesus. Uh, I know, but I, sorry, are you, are you saying that Arteta didn't lose it on sidelines last week? Uh, no, but I'm saying that, like, I, I don't agree with this general perception there is of Arteta that, like, whenever he gets angry on the sidelines, it's a bad sign or it's something that's not good. Like, he's been doing it all season. I Like, the De Bruyne stuff was ridiculous. I totally agree with that. But it's just been a general criticism of Arteta all season. Well, and I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I has, think Has it been general? Is it not just your man in Qatar? What's his name? Keezy. Keezy. It is Keezy, isn't it? He's like, oh, he stepped outside his... Oh, he should be in his yeah, Whatever, that's all Grant. But it did feel like... The- but like when Guardiola does it and stuff, there's not the same sort of commentary around it. No one's like, he's losing the run of himself and he'll literally be like lying on the ground in the technical box, like hands over his head, weeping at times. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's a display of... I do agree it did cross the line with De Bruyne and stuff. I don't like seeing that, but... Especially when De Bruyne was so smug about it afterwards. I'm taking what Connor has said there. He's, Connor has commented Ten Hag has lost the run of himself. I'm taking that with a pinch of salt because Connor, you've always also said Gallon hasn't played in two years. I was at the game yesterday. Oshin Gallon was playing. He was back in the team. He scored five points. Like he was there. So uh, take my word for it. Don't worry, Monon will be following Donegal into Division Two. Says Connor Joyce. Quite possibly. Uh, Same Connor. <laughs> he's he's winding me up this morning. There you go. There there is quite a big chance that Monon will follow Donegal down to Division Two, but they were impressive yesterday. McManus was back. McManus came. came what a cheer when he came off the bench. Uh, two really, really good attacking marks within three minutes of coming on. Jack McCarn back in the team as well. Seven points. Played really well. Sean so Jones. So you're feeling it again? Well, Monaghan fans are feeling you, you need a win at, at home. You and that's coming in town next Sunday as well in Clonus, which is never be a big one. Never back against Monaghan in the relegation scrum. No, no. Uh, Shifty Lad says, Good morning, everyone. Great weekend of sport. Man United now have momentum. I'd say Jerry would agree with me on that. Thumbs up. Uh, well, they're certainly playing with a lot of confidence. Mm, that's important. Should we move on to Amber? Move on to Amber, yeah. Move on to the dubs, because, uh, I, I, look, I personally, any Dublin fans watching, would not have had Dublin in Amber this morning, but uh, the, the, the rest of the production team decided uh, we'd put them in hey, Amber. Hey, throwing us under the bus there, All of, Shane, you, all of you? you under the bus. Are yeah, you? Yeah, 100%. Well, that's, not, that's like uh, no I in team, buddy. From my perspective, from my perspective, Dublin have three, point, three wins from three. 
They've beaten Kildare, they've beaten Limerick, they've beaten Cork in a tough game down in Parky Cueve. Look, they weren't brilliant yesterday, Dublin, but let's look at the positives. Jack McCaffrey, three years out, he comes back on to put on a Dublin jersey, and he's brilliant. He clearly hasn't lost any of the pace that he that he uh, once had, Jack McCaffrey. Uh, James McCarthy was on the pitch as well. It was just more of a familiar-looking Dublin team. Um, David O'Hanlon as well, the goalkeeper, uh, with, a, with a brilliant save from uh, from Brian Hurley with that last last gasp goal chance. Yeah, that, uh, Cork could have really, really snatched all two points. They had the game home and hosed, done and dusted, and you expected them to be able to just strangle the life out of Cork, but they couldn't do it. No, they but kept Cork are a good up, team. Can we, can they, we? they kept coughing up chances. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But like, it is still a Division Two league game where you do have, you know, six hundred All Ireland titles and medals coming off the bench and being able to influence things. And look, Jack McCaffrey looked absolutely great. I think the physical fitness of the main players is, is important. But their half-forward line scored a point. Their, their full-back line scored more than their half-forward line did from um, a starting position. Mm. And look, yeah, you can blah, 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 whatever. But it's just, I don't know, I, I thought that uh, it's trending in a reasonable direction, but they're definitely not in the green yet. Like, most of those Division 1 teams are playing football at a higher level than the Dubs are at the moment. They, they beat Limerick. They beat Kildare in the open game of the season, and Kildare have been not good so far. And I think they'd be Good the first to admit that. There, I mean, it wasn't though. If it, like I was talking oh. to Tommy, and he was like, "They were shocking." Um, and we get Tommy on during the week whenever we're doing the power rankings, and he can explain why. Like you know, again, Clare are a perennial Division Two team. Kildare just about able to get over them. The Dubs just about able to get over them. Meath hammered Cork. Meath were shocking at the weekend. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Division Two fair is not great. Good pitch, um, you know, and brilliant. Nice little training ground run out for the Dubs. Ten thousand fa- fans. Maybe that's what they need at this stage of the season. And sorry, a first win in Cork since nineteen ninety, which I hadn't realised before the game. Um, that's that's an incredible record. So uh, to get that monkey off the back, they haven't played down in Cork since twenty sixteen, uh, albeit. But um, I think I think Desi Farrell will be quite happy after the weekend. I mean. Saturday the 4th of March that's the date you should all stick in your Division 2 diaries because that's Celtic Park Derry Derry versus Dublin well like yeah if you if, if Derry would confirm that they're going all out for us I'd be happy Derry, Derry are unbelievable so far in Division 2 yeah, look I think um, Derry are the best team in Division 2 by a mile at the moment they're also the best team in, in Ulster they could already be qualified for Division 1 by that time that fixture rolls around right am I, am I right no it's only, it's only it's uh, only it's the game after the next one, I think. Okay, okay. I think so. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. So there'll be something at least to play for. Um, now, the, the, the two of them could, could have steamrolled and, and won their next game and then they'll be kind of going up together and it'll be a bit of a, a tame affair, potentially. But If if, um, if Dublin had lost that game, where would they be? So this is a Dublin team we're supposed to win every game because they're, remember, the greatest team of all time, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the standard that they're aspiring to is that they were the greatest team of all time and the vast majority of the players who are starting, maybe not the vast majority, but certainly a core of that team is still around who know what, what those standards are. That's why that's why they have to be in amber at the moment. You can't put them in green because they're not swatting teams away. They don't look to have the forward power that they've had in previous years. Khan is, it turns out, not a winter footballer. Maybe it's, mm. he's just a summer footballer and we'll see him back to his normal form. Um, we're taking that as a, a just a kind of, because we've seen the movie so much, but we haven't just seen that form yet from him in the league. And they should absolutely have lost the game yesterday. The first red card that uh, the, that was given out was Cork. To Cork. Yeah, Ian Maguire. Like that, it was ridiculous. Cork manager afterwards is like, look, we see this every year in the league. We do see this every year in the league. We see these nonsensical decisions. They're pulling the jersey for half a second. 
like it's barely a, it's a foul it wasn't enough. even it wasn't even an egregious shirt pull that was like stopping a scoring opportunity no, so quick so that was the second yellow and unless he said something but I, 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 the referee seemed to say it was like your third one you know it's your third foul and it's actually for consistent fouling so maybe but again we don't get to hear this because we don't hear from them afterwards but there should have been a goal given in the first half yeah sorry the, the square ball there's the square ball situation. Connor Glass tweeted at 5.20pm yesterday evening, and just as he tweeted, I was thinking the same thing. He tweeted, square ball is the worst rule in Gaelic. Pointless. Uh, footballers hate it. Because what is the point of it? The point of it is to defend goalkeepers, but there's, a, there's already a rule there to defend goalkeepers, and that's if a goalkeeper is fouled, it's a free out. There's your rule to defend goalkeepers. But it stops goal hanging. Yeah, go, but... but why? Why do we want to stop goal hanging? Who cares if the, like if if a player want, if a team wants to utilize one or two of their players in a box and use up that space? That's on them because they're leaving gaps elsewhere. Like it doesn't make sense. It happened in the Louth game as well yesterday. Now Sharkey, I think it was for Louth. I don't even think this was a square ball. It's the thing. Your man's literally standing on the edge of the square, looking at the edge, going, "I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking." Balls in the air. How can it? How can the? How can, the umpires aren't actually looking at the at, like. You'd want to be an unbelievable umpire to be thinking as the ball is kicked. Right, where's his foot? Is it on the line? Is it on the paint? Is that like this? Isn't we have no VAR in, in Gaelic to that effect? Like there's there's nothing to say that a decision can be made definitively. The square ball rule needs got rid of. I know this is the worst timing ever to be saying this. Yeah, good match, Con- Well, it's Monday after GA Congress. Yeah, well, well done. We've got to wait a whole bloody year for this now. Well, <sighs> do you know what you can do? Are you Scotstown? I'm on and Harps. On and Harps. So you can go. You can go to your own club. Get the motion going. This is this is your challenge now. Yeah. Can GA democracy work? Can you like be the little butterfly that flaps its wings? Let's do it and unleash chaos at uh, Congress twenty twenty four. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I know that between that and the attacking mark, that's two of the rules that a lot of people don't uh, don't enjoy, especially Gaelic footballers, which is is quite important. They're, they're, I mean, their opinion matters. So maybe that's why it's an amber. Why were why were Kerry not um, at it? Why have we not heard from Kerry so far? Absolutely hockey by me by, by Mayo. Should they've been in the red? Nah. You can't put them in the red. Sean O'Shea and Davy Clifford came back. I think there's um, every reason to put them in the green. Yeah. After a defeat like that. <laughs> a little bit of narkiness in training. Yeah. 100%. Clifford back. O'Shea back. Bit the beast. Um, I'd, be, I'd be concerned because... Damping, damping down the, the, uh, their lead mm. in the power rankings. Well, they're not, we'll get on to that because they're not in the green, but the team that beat them are in the green. And uh, Cassini will enjoy this because Connacht football generally is in the green. I have to say, I think this is bullshit. Why? Because the only team from uh, Connacht who really deserves to be in it at the moment are the Rossies. Yeah, like, well, they certainly deserve it. Yeah, but it should be Davy himself and the whole team. He's 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 given the best post-match copy. His team have like absolutely surprised everybody by coming up and not just being patsies. And the way they're winning games, they're winning all sorts of games. Yeah, they're like they're a yeah. second half team. Or, sorry, they're not a second half team. They're a brilliant team. But they have won so and many games. And he keeps dropping lads every week. Yeah. And then they come off the bench and they they all make an impact. I'm like, this guy has a little bit of something. A little a little sprinkling started. Look, Mayo were absolutely brilliant. Um but uh I think that It's just the general wave though, and like it's shown by the fact that all the teams won over the weekend, like Sligo How did Leitrim do? Okay, not Leitrim. <laughs> See, in a, in a game, I, I do forget about them sometimes and I do apologise hey. for that but like I don't know like it's rare that you actually get a weekend where the uh, most of Connacht GA are very successful wouldn't have expected that performance from Mayo at the weekend at all I mean they were the performances they've put in so far this season have not been great like 
Paddy Durkin wasn't starting. They had, you know, a couple of issues on the team. Still came out, performed really well. 15,000 in Castlebar. Unbeaten in three games. Un- unbeaten well, in draw, three games. A draw against Armagh, a draw against Galway. Like... And, but like you imagine with Mayo they're, like, they're not going to be happy with those two draws no it's that kind of classic thing of unbeaten in three games but also it was two draws that were considered like bad draws mm. um, for them so like no one thought they were going to come out and do it Roscommon are absolutely flying it this year and I really hope it continues into the rest of the championship because I just think it'll be such a great addition and it's just always nice seeing teams like Sligo and Galway up there as well I love that I love Davy Burke versus Kieran McGinney two guys mm. who to say they wear their heart in their sleeve, it would be an understatement. Like Davey, but the, the moment I knew Ross Common were okay this year is when Davy Burke was in studio with us a couple of months ago, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I wanted to run laps around Marconi House when he left. Yeah. Like, this guy is so inspirational; he's unbelievable. I I, I remember chatting, was walking into a nightclub in Monaghan uh, uh, just when Davy Burke was being announced, and Greg McGonagall is working on the door of one of these uh, nightclubs, and he's the former Dublin Ladies Manager, and Davy Burke was his number two, and he says, "This guy is unbelievable." Like. Puts so much work and research in. You saw the reaction from him at full time as well. The Roscommon players have bought in. Oh yeah, and they are fully bought in. Like even the reaction of like Roscommon fans when we had Davy Burke in. Like I don't think there's been a county manager that we've had in that say like our social media platforms were just going crazy oh. with people being like, "We love him. <laughs> he is great. We are so excited for this season." Yeah. And at the time, I was like, "That's a little bit strange," you know. I didn't. I just didn't really expect all that much from Roscommon this season. And now, obviously, they've proved me incredibly wrong. The Rossies love their football. Let me tell you. And Jesus, like I did say to Davy when he was leaving that day, I said, "Look, just maybe take it easy on Monaghan in the league." And they have Monaghan up next. They've got their six points. Down tools, lads. Leave no. it. No, no, there's a, there's a bit of silverware there for them if there they want. There know. is. Like. Uh, the thing I'd say about Armagh yesterday is Jason Duffy kicked four very, very good early points for Armagh, but one of them, I think it was the last of them, he literally could have passed the ball across um, and it was a goal chance for Rory Grugan. If you're away from home against someone like Ross Common in the form they're in, you have to go for goal when you have the chance and he should have. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But sorry, um, am I am I mixing them up? Is he is he the mullet? He's the mullet ginger, uh, left and right. Yeah, brilliant footballer. Yeah, uh, but he should have definitely laid that one off to Rory Grugan because it would have been a certain goal. Instantly into top ten all time mullets. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Gary Mohans from Monaghan last year was brilliant as well. We've had some we've had some crackers. What was the who's the awfully under twenty footballer? I can't remember his name. Oh yeah, forgive me. Someone in the comments will tell us. Uh, that was that was number one for me. But um, Roscommon brilliant, Mayo excellent, Galway. With a with an impressive win in let's call them dire conditions in Chewham Stadium. Chewham Stadium always looks so so bleak, but they uh, look particularly bleak at the weekend. Uh, but a three point win for Tyrone. Like Cal Sweeney came off the bench at half time and kicked three points. Very impressed with him. Peter Cook is back in the panel for Galway as well. Yvian Burke kicking scores. Um, Conroy was very good. I think Paulie Joyce is going to be licking his lips because even he was asked after the match yesterday talking about Damien Comer was at the game and walking around and. I think it's six to eight weeks, he had said after the game now, which is... That's not too bad. No, it's not too bad. And it's shorter than, than had been expected. So a really positive weekend. Sligo as well. This is why we threw them in. He'll be back for Croker. He'll be back for Croker. Sligo beat Waterford by uh, 21 points to 13. So two out of three for Sligo. And they deserve to be mentioned here as well, guys, because... Yeah, but they beat Waterford. Yeah, 100%. But let's... let's look, they're, they're quite likely going to be in a college final, Sligo. So we're going to get to know some of these players. Sean Carabine being one of them. Kicked eight points yesterday. So I think we should give them the credit where credit's due. You can only beat the teams in front of you, and they are in Division 4. But back in the promotion hunt, Leash leading the, the fold there in Division 4. But um, what a weekend for Connacht football. Uh, Shane says, not a mention of the League of Ireland after the opening weekend of fixtures. I uh, would have thought that would have been the Sligo story we were talking about. Great 90, result for them. 97, 98 minutes in. 
uh, last minute equaliser but um, I don't know you know that game could have been shown on TV the, the defending champions going for a four-peat um, instead we're watching the URC on the weekend where there's none of the best players playing yeah. something's gone wrong there folks Leinster hawking a team once again uh, Cormac Egan is the Offaly mullet uh, individual, thank you for that uh, reminder. And uh, Smith, best player in the Roscommon team, top class player. He is unbelievable. What a player. Um, the Murtas as well. Ben O'Carroll deserves a shout out, as, as pointed out in the comments. I really like this Roscommon team, lads. I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to be. So, I'm going to be more tuned into the Connacht Championship than the uh, Ulster Championship this year. Albeit the, it's fairly one sided the draw. So why is it Connacht not just Roscommon? Asks Paul Byrne. And square ball was brought in to stop Marty goalies being killed. What a terrible rule, says uh, Danny McQuan. There was the uh, Marty goalies. There's also like the flying elbow into the face of the goalkeeper. That you know. It's a free out then. Yeah, but like it's too late. Yeah, if your nose is broken, it's too late. <laughs> I don't know. I think it needs got rid of. It's it's ruining the game for me. Uh, Bobby Dwyer, a resident Spurs fan, so you can uh, take this with whatever. You, the, Arteta, an absolute embarrassment. And Pep has a little more credit in the bank on what he can get away with on the sidelines. Uh, I, I, I don't really have any problems with the stuff on the sidelines week to week. It's the occasionally it gets too much and then you lose the run of yourself. Uh, uh, anyway, sure, look, we're, we're in the we're red now. We're, we're in the green. Yeah. Sorry. The, the ultra green is Arsenal, so we might as well move there. Um, the, the highlight for me was hearing the stories afterwards from the press box. I'm sure you've you's heard what, what went on. There was a few antics. So the Arsenal first-team assistant coach, Miguel Molina, and the Aston Villa head performance analyst, Victor Manas, who is a former Arsenal employee, he was under Emery's uh, backroom team at Arsenal, had an altercation which apparently became physical in the press box. So the Villa staff were apparently unhappy about how Arsenal celebrated the uh, own goal from Emmy Martinez, and shit just hits the fan in the press box which is what you want to hear you want to hear these stories and uh, look why wouldn't the Arsenal staff celebrate it's a, it's a goal to, to potentially save their title charge put them 3-2 up late on at Villa Park a tough place to go and Emmy Martinez who is the king of shithousery lets the ball in off the back of his head couldn't do much about it to be fair to the man but um, just one of those one of those games as we said earlier guys you need to win these types of games Zinchenko's first Premier League goal which I couldn't believe I was like oh yeah he's never scored in the Premier League uh, which was madness. Um, the strike from Jorginho too was out of this world, and Saka and Odegaard were unsurprisingly brilliant. So, um, I mean, they deserve to be top of the green, don't they? It just is like it's a lot of the names that you would expect to pull Arsenal out of this. You know, having Odegaard there, Saka. Uh, Saka was getting an awful time of it, mm. and I am slightly worried about the game time that he's playing. Like being such a young player and he has had a couple of issues with his hamstring and stuff already I would be kind of worried about that for his future I think they need to find better backup and I mean I've said this for a long time I think Arsenal in general need better depth uh, I did feel a little bit for I mean Martinez I mean it's one of those did ones. you? well I just I always really liked him when he was at Arsenal <laughs> like I remember when we won the FA Cup and he like broke down in tears and he was always such a big Arsenal man and I know like like he does have that whole sort of shithousery thing where he, you know, gets in people's faces and stuff. But I was like, oh, of all people to actually gift us this, it had to be him, really. <laughs> I did think that, uh, oh, karma finally catches up with him. It's like, he won a World Cup, lads. Steady on. This is, yeah. a, this is a league game he's going to forget, you know, in six weeks' time. But he won a World Cup, so I'm not really sure if karma tracked him down and beat him over the head or if, like... No, yeah. I don't think so. He won the World Cup. It's a third straight defeat for Villa. They're 11th at the table. They need to arrest that form pretty quickly. And Arsenal of Leicester 
next. Leicester team that lost, of course, 3-0 to Manchester United yesterday. And then they play Everton, the team that, of course, beat them only two weeks ago uh, at the Emirates. So uh, the next couple of weeks for Arsenal. So are they, are they, have they responded? Kathleen, are you happy that um, things have turned around? Uh, well, like, obviously you want a more convincing win than it necessarily was. Like, the scoreline puts a sheen on it, but realistically we needed an own goal and it took us until, like, the 90th minute to actually in any way secure the win. But also, it's like Shane was saying, to actually <coughs> win titles or win championships, you need these dirty wins. You need to prove that you can pull it out of the bag when you are a bit down. I All I wanted out of Arsenal this weekend, to be honest, was to come out and give a win. I think if they had got a draw or a loss, I would have seen a lot more in the, OK, City beat them, the title race is over, all that sort of crack. But I said it when I was on the show after the City game that I didn't think this was Arsenal down and out at all. I thought it was like definitely a slip up. And I'm not entirely sure when we play City again, are we going to beat them? But these are the sort of games we need to be winning, especially when City are getting the results that they did at the weekend. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned that. The Chris Woods goal robbed two points from Man City. I mean, what a weekend for Arsenal. Erling Haaland is an absolute sitter. Yeah. So much possession for City, but possession means not if you can't get the win. So uh, that's worrying for Man City. But this is the thing. Like We talked about this uh, after the Arsenal City game and we were like, oh, have Arsenal messed up? Have they given this away? But like you look at the results City had at the weekend, like when they've been tripped up by Everton, they've had as many trips as Arsenal and that's partly the reason why Arsenal are in this position now. So yes, I know they have the history and that they have done it before and we have a lot more expectation for them. But also, the results don't lie at the moment. And I just think there's still a long time to go until the end of this race. A lot of teams getting joy against Man City down that, that mm. gaping Cancelo-sized hole, <laughs> it seems to be, for whatever reason. Um, Pep's hubris. But there's, there was no fight between them, according to Cancelo. It's seven minutes past eight. That's this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. It's five minutes, nine minutes past eight, rather, this morning here on OTBAM. We'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the number you can get us on WhatsApp, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Now, I'm delighted to say Ben Jacobs of CBS Sports Galazzo is with us. Ben, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good. Um, we might start with the situation at Chelsea. Uh, obviously, Todd Bowley has said that Potter is going to be there for the long haul. He's the manager that they want to take through this whole entire experiment um, and yet we all know the truth about football is that sometimes there's a tipping point and perhaps being beaten by the worst team in the Premier League at home uh, in front of your own fans might be the tipping point is there any indication that something is imminent at Chelsea? Well I think in the immediate aftermath of that loss those close to the club were sticking to their position of backing Graham Potter but 24 hours 48 hours now in football is a long time. And as you say, it's a pivotal moment now and a test of the ownership group to see whether they are true to their principles, which are ultimately a long-term vision of which Graham Potter was hired to be a big part. And the reason for the patience in him is because they deem him and did so at the point of hire to be a football fit, personality fit and strategic fit. But there is not making Champions League football and showing progress and there's moving in the other direction. And when Graham Potter first joined, he was five points off Champions League, which was a big gap at that stage of the season. And now Chelsea find themselves in mid-table. They're not scoring goals. So there's mitigating factors here. The injury list that Chelsea have had, the new signings needing time to bed in, the fact that the new signings came 
in a January window, which ultimately means that they don't get any kind of pre-season or time to bed in. But nonetheless, when a dressing room is not gelled, and this is a big Chelsea dressing room full of different characters, when a fan base are against the manager, the ownership group now in the early part of this week are going to have to sit down and think very seriously because this has gone from criticism and then pressure around results based upon Chelsea expectations. And then when the counter to that was patience is necessary, I think it was very valid because Chelsea are a brand new project. But now when you look at the results, it's not Chelsea specific. You could make a very real argument that this run of form that they're on would warrant any manager at any Premier League club very possibly losing their job. And I think the stat doing the rounds is that Nathan Jones at Southampton actually had better form than Potter currently over the same period. And he lost his job at Southampton, who obviously beat Chelsea by being bottom of the table. And that is simply not good enough. So now Todd Bowley has got a very, very big decision to make. We mentioned, uh, Ben, earlier on the, the selection from Graham Potter yesterday, the six changes from Dortmund game. He's garnered a little bit of criticism since the game of the weekend for dropping all of those players. Like, Was there a need to change so much? Were Southampton taken for granted a little bit? I think off the back of the Champions League, Graham Potter chopped and changed, and that was partially down to the fixture congestion. And on top of that, I think that Potter himself hasn't been in this situation before, and that's not helping. And this is one of the key things for me. Will the ownership group look at the fact that he himself has made a step up and provide more time as well? Because Graham Potter's not been in the business end of a tournament like the Champions League and an away fixture and then returning the default position from the outside in before you've been there is to make a ton of changes. And then when you add to that, he's got a massive squad to the point where someone like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang can't even get in it. And I don't think that Potter knows his best starting eleven either. All lead to this tinkering, which is reminiscent, if we stick with the Chelsea analogy, of Claudio Ranieri, who was known as the tinker man. And in Potter's case... The difficulty is in trying to keep everybody happy, giving out opportunities. And then when results are not going away, feeling like a change is necessary. And that's the sort of irony of Dortmund in particular, that Chelsea didn't play badly. And actually, Graham Potter hasn't come under a huge amount of criticism for that match, because although they lost, and therefore it feeds into the bigger picture of poor form, it was really just a series of missed chances, but they played superbly. They showed progress and potential. So Potter wasn't under any real threat immediately after Dortmund, but Southampton was different because, as you say, he picked a different starting 11. They didn't look incisive. There was no real chemistry. They conceded. The goal woes continued. And when you add all of that up, it's very difficult now because you've got away at Tottenham next. That obviously on paper at the moment, you would have to say is a Tottenham victory if you were just basing it on the odds. And then the following week, they've got to go Leeds and then Dortmund again. So if the ownership group are to make a change, they've really got to either do it right now to give any new manager or interim time ahead of that Dortmund second leg, or they've got to wait and hope that in these games coming up against Tottenham, Leeds and Dortmund, that things turn around. Is your instinct that they won't make a change, that they've backed themselves into a corner a little bit here and they kind of need to dance with the one who brung them all the way to the summer? 
It wouldn't surprise me if it's a divided board, not in any dramatic sense, but not everybody has to be unified here because these are names that have come in relatively recently at all levels. The board upheaval happened about 100 days in. A new recruitment team was built. And let's not forget that includes Paul Wynn Stanley, the co-sporting director who worked with Graham Potter at Brighton. So the board would be remiss not to be talking to him because his opinion on Potter holds more weight because he simply worked with him for a longer period of time. So my instinct is that serious conversations will happen, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a sacking. It could just as easily be a reiteration to Potter of what the project is and what the expectations are. Ben, but I do think we have to make a clear distinction between Chelsea in bad form, but showing signs of progress and Chelsea in bad form and moving in the other direction. And there's only so long this run can continue before the desire to keep Potter is trumped by the fact that the results just don't allow for that. And that is why I think Graham Potter is on increasingly thin ice. So my instinct is that today specifically is going to be very key because if he doesn't go today and over the weekend, the intimation was a no change narrative, but that can be deemed also to be a dreaded vote of confidence. But if it isn't today, then I would expect the ownership group to give Graham Potter more time sticking to these principles that he's there for the long term. But today, make no mistake, is a very important day and a big test of Chelsea's ownership group. Ben, you mentioned Aubameyang's name there a moment ago. What the hell is going on with the Aubameyang situation at Chelsea? Because that's a third league game in a row where he's not in the squad, he's not in the Champions League squad. Reading um, Graham Potter's comments after the game, he was asked about Aubameyang's absence. He said, I would say, keep doing what he's doing. We had Kai Havertz and Raheem Sterling coming on, but when you don't score, when you're creating chances, I understand the question. Those three games that he was dropped for, they've only scored once. Does he have a future at the club? I know he wasn't a Potter signing as such, but surely they're going to rely on him at some point to start banging in goals because no one else is doing it. Well, I don't see Aubameyang playing any games for Chelsea simply because over the next few weeks, they're only going to have more players either available or in form. And this is the challenge for Aubameyang. He's way down the pecking order. And let's not forget that others are going to be coming in over the summer as well. Christopher and Kunku will arrive from Leipzig. That's all pre-agreed. And they want another traditional number nine. And ultimately, Aubameyang knows that his time is up, come what may, at Chelsea at the end of the season, which is why there were clubs coming in outside of the transfer window that are into next season, such as the MLS, that were trying for Aubameyang. But he still sees himself as a top European player. And he would have gone back to Barcelona if it was possible. But not only can you only play for two clubs in a given season, so that would be Barcelona and Chelsea, but you can't change your registration three times, which didn't allow Aubameyang to go back to Barcelona, even though he's still within that two-club rule because it was registered for Barcelona for this season, registered for Chelsea. The re-registration to Barcelona would have stopped him going back on a free in January. And I think if that was possible, he'd already be gone. But the challenge for Aubameyang is that when Hakim Ziyech on the last day of the window was sitting in PSG's offices minutes away from the deadline with a loan move secured and the paperwork came in late, when he returned to Chelsea, Graham Potter put him straight in the starting lineup and then straight in the Champions League squad. In stark contrast, Aubameyang wasn't even in the squad after the window ended and was removed from the Champions League squad and since hasn't been involved. So then you look at Southampton when the dust has settled and say, surely if you're going to make all these changes off the back of the Champions League, 
you can find space at least for Aubameyang to have a cameo against the bottom side in the Premier League with his pedigree of scoring. And yet again, he wasn't involved. And I think this is a clear message that Aubameyang is out the picture. And Graham Potter says there's been no fallout. He's working hard. If you look at any videos or photos of Aubameyang in training, he's smiling, he's laughing. But it's been tough because a year or so ago, he's unveiled at Barcelona and then he joins Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel goes. Clearly, that was a Thomas Tuchel signing. Of course, he had that horrific home burglary. So he arrived at Chelsea with a broken jaw and now he's being frozen out. So it's been a really tough 12 months. I do empathise and feel sorry for Aubameyang, but Graham Potter can't keep deciding things based upon balancing individuals or egos, especially not with players that he feels will not be there come the beginning of next season. And as a consequence, Potter has to stick to his guns, stick to consistency, stick to his best starting 11, which I still think that he doesn't know for various reasons. And that basically does mean that at the moment, uh, Bamiyang's time at Chelsea might contractually be continuing, but in practical terms, it looks like it's done. What about Arsenal? The performance at the weekend, obviously, it's one of those bits where if they win the league at the end of the year, you look back and go, wow, that was one of those key moments where uh, stuff fell into... Um, I don't know. I don't know how you describe it. Is it, is it good fortune? Is it just they, they continued taking shots and so therefore they got what they deserve? But every every one of the teams who's won the league over the last number of seasons has had some of these big games along the way where it looks like they're going to they're gonna lose and they turn it around and they retrospectively invest a lot of emotional uh, intensity to that particular moment. Is this one of those, do you think, for Arsenal? Or uh, Villa, not very good at the moment. Absolutely annihilated the previous week by Leicester and yet within moments of actually beating Arsenal. Yeah, I think that you look at Arsenal's mini wobble, if we can call it that, and it's concerning. And this is the Premier League all over because when Manchester City beat Arsenal, it was a momentum swing and everyone thought that that was season defining. But all Arsenal had to do off the back of that especially with their game in hand, was respond. And not only did they win, but equally as significant to why the win is important is because Manchester City surprisingly dropped points away at Nottingham Forest. And I think that if you look at how Arsenal conceded against a inconsistent Villa team at the moment, then that across the 90 minutes was not, in terms of standard, a title-winning performance. But that's irrelevant because in the last six minutes of the game, but particularly in the third minute of injury time, they scored twice and won the game. And when you do that, you gain more from simply getting the three points and having that jubilation and showing that you've got the character because that's what you need to win the Premier League. And that actually is more significant than perhaps the level of performance and the fact that Villa almost got something out of the game. So, of course, we know that Arsenal rode their luck, but to fight back, it was astonishing. And you you could tell throughout the course of the game that they were growing in this confidence that if they could get level they could go on and win the game. And that's exactly what happened. And although they had a little bit of fortune because it was an Emmy Martinez own goal, let's take nothing away from how well hit the Jorginho shot was in the first place, which came off the bar and then off the back of Martinez's head. And the fourth goal arguably has no real bearing on much. But when you look at a tight race for the Premier League that can ultimately come down to goal difference, you'll take that fourth goal as well, where Emmy Martinez came up the other end to try and equalise and Martinelli was able to go down the other end and score effectively into an open goal. So it looks like 
Arsenal, therefore, have got what they needed. But Mikel Arteta will no doubt, ahead of the Leicester game on Saturday, be emphasising the fact that Arsenal have to get back to being less open and more disciplined at the back and not give sides the opportunity to score first and get ahead. But now you have this scenario, Manchester City have always been very good at this as well, where Arsenal look to that game all the way through until the end of the season. And they say, if we can come back from behind, if we can show character, if we can overcome adversity, and not just that one game, but this kind of mini wobble that I mentioned before, that's going to be so significant to their confidence. Because if it was Manchester City, you'd say they've been there before. So if they went through a few games where they dropped points, by still being top of the league and with the game in hand, it may not be as significant. But because Arsenal have not recently been in this position and because last season they got towards the end of the season and then, of course, they lost the North London derby and away at Newcastle and they ended up missing out on Champions League football. This is a game they're going to keep having cited, I think, in dressing rooms, in training, in matches where they say, even if it looks bad for us, we will come back. And it is that spirit and that unity I think is going to be so significant. And also the other thing is now they've got Leicester, who are a little bit hit and miss. They didn't start the year well. Then they had a good run, but Manchester United dismantled them in the second half. Could have been different, of course, had De Gea not made those couple of stunning saves. And then after that, they've got home to Everton, home to Bournemouth. So on paper, Arsenal feel they can win their next three games. And then suddenly you're heading into the middle of March. You know that Manchester City have got Champions League and as a result, that is going to require rotation and Arsenal have still got that game in hand. So it's all looking very positive for Arsenal at the moment. Uh, briefly, Ben, what's what's going to happen with this Manchester United ownership? Uh, do you feel we've got the, the bids confirmed by uh, the Qatari banker, Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Thani on Friday and uh, Jim Ratcliffe following suit as well just before the deadline of 10 o'clock. Do you have any indication as to what way this is going to go? Going to go? Of course, they have the... the um, the, the finances to look over now before they actually take this any further. But um, do you have a feeling which way it's going to be headed? And that is the key point, really, that this is the early stage of initial offers without significant due diligence being done. And as a consequence, there may well be a few rounds of bidding. So what we know is Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Yassim have gone public. There's a few companies, particularly Elliot, who were the owners of Milan, who have said that they will help finance in some way, either to keep the Glazers at the club, which would not be popular. That surely can't happen, Ben. Well, you would think not, but the Glazers are also not going to sell just because there's a fan desire for them to exit. So we cannot rule out the possibility of the Glazers finding a way to stay with some form of minority investment. But the two outright bids we know about are both pretty bullish. So Sir Jim Ratcliffe is saying he wants to buy out the Glazers stake, which is not 100% of the club, but it's 100% outright buyout of the Glazers, meaning they'd be gone. Whereas Sheikh Yassim, interestingly, said that he wanted 100% of the club, period. And the Qatari bid is confident. Both bids are talking about redeveloping Old Trafford and Manchester United's training facility. One key difference is that even though Radcliffe says that he'll use debt, it won't be on Manchester United's books. Sheikh Yassim says that his bid is going to be 100% debt-free. So if we were talking in transfer terms, which is very superficial and we shouldn't look at this quite like a transfer, but we would say the Qataris are sounding like they're confident and front-runners. But these offers are, as I understand it, at the top end, around twice the price of the Chelsea sale, which is still under £5 And as a consequence, if the Glazers want 6 billion, 7 billion, there's still a very 
big gap for in negotiations the parties to come to or the Glazer family need to decide that they're prepared to come down on the price. Otherwise, this will all lead to a lot of talks and confidence. But if a price isn't agreed, then ultimately the Glazers will still want to stay at the football club. So that's what's going to be very interesting. Are the Glazers playing gamesmanship and is this price competitive? And industry insiders say yes, that if it was in the mid four billions or above, that is still a very good price, in which case the Glazers may go. Or are the Glazers genuine in wanting this six, seven, eight billion, in which case there's a big gap in these initial offers. But of course, there is still due diligence to come. So we're going to have to wait and see now how this one progresses. I should also point out that there is going to be other interests that's more private or secretive. So I don't see this as only being a two horse race. I think there'll be something credible from North America. And although we know that the Saudis have not made an outright bid, don't still be surprised if they're involved in some capacity as well, joining another group or secretly offering some kind of private funding that we don't yet know about. So I think the pool of interest will be slightly bigger than we know about at this point. But just one final thing to say, even though it's a side point, the PR firm who are backing Qatar's bid and briefing around it, they were the ones that sent out the statement to media, were also contracted to the Premier League. And prior to working with Sheikh Yassim's bid, they gave up their contract with the Premier League due to a conflict of interests. Now, if you're the Qatari bid and you're this PR firm and you feel like it's going to end in the next few weeks because you're not going to be put through or you don't stand a realistic chance of winning, you don't take that gig in the first place over a long-standing relationship with the Premier League. So that, again, is a very small, minor side point of indication that... The Qataris are serious and confident, and that is shown in the fact that one of the PR firms representing them are quite prepared to take on this gig and surrender something with the Premier League because it's a conflict of interest. And you don't do that if the story is just going to come and go, which, well, again, is perhaps more well, indication that the Qataris are serious. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they were well remunerated for for that, uh, giving up that contract. The, the buyout mm. must have been significant. Uh, ben, one last thing on this uh, uh, time frame that's realistic for this all to happen. Um, it, it either happens quickly or it doesn't happen at all. It's kind of the sense at the moment. I think that if it was to go according to its earliest time scale, there could either be a series of suitors shortlisted, the due diligence obviously happens and then you get to a preferred bidder period of exclusivity and then an acquisition. And at the very, very earliest, that could be Easter. But once you get a credible suitor and if one suitor leaps out, the process can obviously be changed to give them preference. And if a singular suitor leaps out and gets into that period of exclusivity, the power dynamic changes a bit because then that group knows they're in the lead. So they can do things a bit more on their terms, which means that it will take as long as it takes, to be perfectly honest with you. That's the message that I'm getting from all groups. If they get through, then they realize they stand a chance or they're in an exclusive period and they know that they're the front runner. At that point, they're not going to say to the Glazers, sure, we'll meet your deadlines. They'll say, sure, we'll do our due diligence and we'll take as long as it takes. But the latest, if anything happens, is still probably going to be towards the end of or at the end of the season, simply because all parties are aware the best transitional time 
in order to change owners or bring in a minority investor is naturally at the end of the season and or when the transfer window opens because you've got that time and there's clarity in the market. And if it is a full new owner, they can go out and spend. Whereas if the Glazers are still there when the transfer window opens, there's going to be a question mark as to whether Eric Ten Hag, Champions League or not, can immediately start spending. And that's why I think that this will be wrapped up one way or the other or ended if nothing happens by the end of the season. But to say Easter for sure might be a bit premature because ultimately the groups trying to buy are not necessarily going to rush to the Glazers' timescale as the process advances, whereas now they're having to meet deadlines that are ultimately designed to get something done if something happens as quick as possible. Ben, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. All the best. Take care. Uh, ben Jacobs giving us a whirlwind tour through some of the big stories at the moment. Uh, Manchester United fans happy? No. Excited? No. Uh, we're excited by what's happened on the pitch, but I, I'm uh, certainly I'm not excited by a potential Qatari takeover. Um, I know there are still Newcastle fan groups protesting the Qatari or the, the Saudi ownership. I don't think United fans like realise how bad this could be for the club. We're, we're, United aren't a club that, that need Qatari money. You know, it's not like some of these other clubs that are taking over and they need the, the financial help. Manchester United do not need the financial help of of the Qataris. Not much is known about this Sheikh Yassim guy. Even people who seem to have worked with him in the past don't really know, don't know his age, don't know how he got his, his fortune. There's not a lot known about him, whereas Jim Ratcliffe is more of a, a known entity, uh, I guess. Now, of course, as, as Ben says, he's maybe not bidding as, as high as the Qatari, but... Uh, it's not a great, it's not a great look if you now to go for the uh, the Qatari bid. Um, so yeah, I think it's a mixed time at, at the minute for for United fans. Albeit an exciting week on the pitch because you have Barcelona on Thursday and then Newcastle in the Carabao Cup final on on Sunday, which could be a first trophy for United in six years. So yeah, the, the Qatari stuff worries a lot of United fans, I would imagine. But uh, on pitch, all is good. Uh, Andy Carroll says Villa played fantastic on Saturday you can take a step back and say Villa nearly took a scalp but they would beat 17 or 18 of the other teams in the league with that performance yeah they just conceded a lot of goals recently like if Tyrone Mings doesn't head the ball back out to Saka for the first goal then it's a very different game Mm. you know like maybe try heading the ball away from your own goal Tyrone away from the goal yeah that would be a big help and um, I did like I did think that I mean Martinez you know the time wasting when he's doing it on your team, you're like, yeah, go man, Abby. Yeah. Go man. My highlight of uh, of that game, and po- possibly the weekend, um, I like, had a good weekend, like Monaghan, of course, beating Donegal, Monaghan Town beating Kudil Harps as well, in the uh, the Cavan Monaghan League to go top. Just saying, two four three comeback wins in two weeks. Just deserved to mention, I felt. Did you score this week? I did score this week, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, I'm going to start actually doing the, I think I'm going to start doing the Rashford celebration, because clearly it works for him, so... I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna start doing that, which might look a bit strange in front of maybe 50 people at a Cavanaugh and Premier oh, no, Division. That's exactly match, what you should do. Yeah, just run to the corner flag. And, and if and anybody's any footage of that, by the way, we yeah. will, we will pay cash money for it. I'll, I'll get a picture. Maybe, maybe 15 euros. Yeah, but uh, so that's going to happen soon. And uh, yeah, sorry, Tom Hanks. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I, I knew he was an Aston Villa fan, but I, um, I mean, there's a lot of celebrity Villa fans. David Cameron. But how did he choose Villa? William, you know. Yeah, uh, we celebrate these. Nigel Kennedy, though, like with the greatest violinist of the last century, and Tom Hanks. Sorry, Tom Hanks. I have no idea. I actually don't know. He was I don't buzzing. Know the origin he was story buzzing after the Watkins goal. The Watkins goal. I mean, it's brilliant. The Coutinho goal as well. Well, it, 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 with Watkins, you're just so 
oh, look, he's he's made that perfect run. He's got all that athleticism, but he's just about to screw the... I'm like, well, I didn't. He didn't screw it up. And then, okay. Yeah, I really like him. So, uh, yeah, Tom Hanks uh, in the crowd is my highlight of the weekend. Powell 74 says, Chelsea have too many players. Potter has too many choices. This is 100% correct. Um, the Athletica this morning saying that Mason Mount's contract talks have stopped and they won't restart until the summer. Mount, it seems like, is rejecting the offers from Chelsea. And uh, everybody wants Mount. Every, all the other Premier League teams, at least certainly his agent has leaked it that all of the other Premier League teams want it. But it seems credible. It does seem credible that Mason Mount will be getting games for most teams in the Premier League at the moment. Mm. Uh, Lorkey says two offside players clearly blocking the Martinez view for the Jorginho goal. But it's just Villa, I suppose. It definitely, you know, again, I don't really understand offside anymore since they've uh, changed the rules so much. But it did, it did appear that this doesn't matter. Like, mm. when they're like, you know, in the way of the keeper. But uh, John Ram torching the whole world of golf at the moment deserves a place in the rankings. He absolutely does. Yeah. Like, we're, we're it's a level of dominance in golf that we haven't really seen since Pete Tiger. Oh, like um, I was watching last night, and was it the 15th or 16th hole where he had that left to right putt from distance? And just, you just know that Ram's going to sink those. And uh, he, he's almost psyching Max Homa out of it. Homa was losing the head a little bit later on. You know, even as Caddy trying to get fans to move, and he was asking Max, "Do you want do you want those guys to move?" And he's like, "Yeah," but he he was clearly frustrated by how well John Ram was playing down the back nine. And uh, what is it? Five wins in nine worldwide starts for for Ram. It ain't bad. Ridiculous. Uh, any of the top Connacht teams will easily beat Sligo, says Suzuka Uimoa. Owen Hurley says, if Cork had a money, they would have won by four or five. Square ball is a joke of a rule too. They never get it right. Uh, the Examiner this morning reporting the call of Manny, um it's not looking good it's a hamstring injury and they'll get a scan on that today from the Sigerson during the week or was it Sigerson or was it actually was he playing for the Hurlers didn't see uh, Sigerson sorry yeah. sorry the, the other thing apart from the square ball rule see the overcarrying rule and I was watching it at the Monaghan Donegal game there were overcarries given that were ridiculous and then there were eight or nine steps like the, the it's the, very random well Ryan O'Donoghue's goal for Mayo if you watch it he probably takes seven or eight steps. Ryan Dunne looked very good, didn't he? He did. It was a brilliant, brilliant finish. But like, there's no continuity in terms of the overcarrying rule. I just and it, it winds me up. It winds my dad up more so. He's at games going. I can't. I can't watch this. The, 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 the overcarrying inconsistencies in, in decisions is, is outrageous. But um, some of the GA rules, yeah. Grind my gears, Jer. It's eight thirty-seven. Uh, Colin Milani is with us. Call. How are you? Hello, lads. How's it going? You were also in Clonus. I was. Covering the game and very impressed with Monaghan in the second half. Um, Donegal will be so disappointed that uh, the way they just fell away because they hit the crossbar when it was 11 all. I mm. think if that goal had gone in, they might have just had a little bit more energy. But I mean, the loss combined with the news that Paddy McBrearty is probably going to miss the rest of the league and has to get surgery on that hamstring injury. I mean, it's there's not too much good news around for Donegal at the moment. Very hard to see how you can come back from that and be... At championship pace in yeah. in time for the championship, we obviously wish him the very best, and and I'm sure he'll do everything he can to get there. But it's uh, tough sledding uh, to recover from hamstring surgery because mm. they only they only do the surgery if it's really really bad. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think he probably I think he was taken off was it in the match before that, um, and obviously he's the captain this year as well, which is a, a big thing for a Donegal team that you feel is in a bit of transition with a lot of new players. So Ryan McHugh still to come back as well. Look at I mean D- Division One is very very tight. I mean I think Galway are third on three points and Donegal have two and they're bottom. So I yeah. mean there's not a whole lot between the teams, uh, but it's all about the Connacht counties. The Connacht counties, the top three places at the moment. And Sligo uh, deserve a mention. Can we not? Can we just get to the point where uh, you get one point for a draw and you get three points for a win, and 
That, like, is that, is that what? So win is more and more, yeah. more important. You're incentivized to go for it as opposed to oh, we take our one point draw. Sure, that's as good as a win. Because there are so many draws. There are a lot. Well, there seems to be a lot like yeah. Armagh Mayo, Galway Mayo. There might be fewer. Maybe. You anyway. think? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it's very entertaining. I think as the pitches get better, and like Mayo were brilliant on Saturday night. I thought in the first half, you have to tell you that with Kerry that how poor they were. But Mayo have a a lot of work done. It looks like they look in prime physical condition. Uh, James Horn in the Examiner there this morning saying that they they look like they're in championship condition already. I suppose it's a case of whether they can sustain that. And you also soon. have the scenario now where Mayo and Roscommon could meet in the league final and then they play each other in the championship two weeks later possibly or a week later. Um, that, that happened Horan and they put out they didn't play a dummy team but no. was, that, was that last year? Kerry Mayo league final. Yeah they played Mayo yeah and Mayo got they got hockey they never well recovered. Yeah. People trace this I'm sure it didn't make a blind bit of difference to their championship form no, you can't shadow box in a division 1 league final if, if you're not used to winning it like Davy Burke would not put out a weak team against Mayo in a division 1 league final if they got there not, not a chance regardless of whether that or not they play them two weeks later yeah like, I have to give Roscommon a lot of credit I mean I think a lot of people would have said that they were probably the favourites for relegation uh, going into this year they have been a bit of a yo-yo team but Davy Burke and his management team have done a brilliant job and they've grinded out results like they were a point down I think at half time yesterday and they just grinded out the result and they've got so many good players and a Carl as well as one of the younger players that has come in and, and really flourished and they will fancy themselves I know they're on the tough side of the draw in the Connacht Championship but if they can sustain this league form you would think they're safe now in Division 1 regardless of what happens from here and uh, they could make a big impact in the championship. And I wonder, for the likes of Roscommon, is the new format going to help them as well, where they're, even if they do lose in Connacht, they're kind of freed from the shackles of, of that kind of tight province where Mayon Galway have kind of Very dominated. Very hard to know, right? It depends on how much emotional investment they make in the Connacht championship. And if they, if they find that heartbreaking, can you then recover for the round robin? Mm. Like, uh, uh, you know, if, if you're... They really value... Uh, Connacht titles mm. clearly and we've seen the celebration on the pitch so you can't fake that but at the same time you know like there'll be a home game for them against a, a proper powerhouse and then an opportunity to get to an all Ireland quarter-final and at that stage you know like these one-off games Yeah no, I think getting, getting the the three wins in the first three games is so important because once you get to six points it's not like you shut off but they're pretty much Pretty much safe. Another point, maybe, will guarantee it. Yeah. I think they're guaranteed to be safe at this stage. The Probably way the, the way the other results have gone. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Famous last words, but like, but, like the, the thing. Not to get all Brendan Rodgers about Ross Common, but the character they've shown. Like the what they were three points down to Tyrone, stiff breeze, and they get three goals in the second half. And I think they scored the last five points in the game against Galway to win by a point. Yeah. Like so, they they, they really, really when they when they when they, shit, it's the fan. Ross Common are brilliant, and that's Davy Burke written all over it he, like really really impressive they will lose a game in Division 1 very soon Like it's tough to keep no team wins 7 Division 1 games no. it just doesn't happen mm-hmm. um, hopefully it's the Monaghan game next weekend because Monaghan need the points but that, that seems to be the, the trend is that the team that needs the points more towards the tail end of Division 1 tends to get the win Yeah. so like the teams all of a sudden scrapping for relegation that's why Monaghan have tended to stay up in recent years because when they, when they need the win they get them James Gibbon says Ryan O'Donoghue was being fouled hence the leeway with the overcarrying it's ref justice yeah fair enough fair enough but I just mean generally I suppose that the overcarrying rule is ridiculous it's not in- interpreted properly how much Carl are you giving Mayo how much were you, uh, you were pointing out how little Kerry had done yeah I think 
Mayo, I think Kevin McStay, when he came in, spoke about the need to get a really strong pre-season under their belts, and they look to have done that. Like Aidan O'Shea is probably playing his best stuff that he has for the last five or six years. Um, Killian O'Connor as well got some game time again on Saturday night. And yeah. The younger players they've brought through, like Bob Tui, I think, at, at centre-forward is a really young player, but promising player. Sam Callanan for Balanagh as well is, is another brilliant prospect. And uh, they've got a virtually totally new uh, full back line, I think, as well, which has been referenced. And they've, uh, I think Kevin McStay said in the lead up to, to the game at the weekend that they've passed some pretty stern tests when you look at Damien Comer and, and Finnerty for Galway first day out. Then you have Rian O'Neill and Grugan for Armagh. And again on, on uh, Saturday night against Kerry. And uh, that'll be a huge boost to them because obviously everyone thought that with Oshin Mullen and Lee Keegan gone, that they may struggle in that department. And Paddy Durkin came on there again the last night. So they're in a really good spot Mayo it's a, I suppose it's a case if they can keep it going um, if they can keep it going and if they can avoid injuries they were, they've been hit with injuries at certain stages in recent years that hasn't helped but um, they have got that really good block of work under the belt early and that's uh, certainly standing them in good stead now but I think I mean it's, teams are at different stages like you don't know how much training Kerry have done whether they've had a heavy week coming into the game in Casabar um, it's very hard to tell with teams at this stage of the year James Carr is really maturing yeah yeah, I mean, you'll hear the talk in Mayo that James Carr is a guy with just bundles and bundles of potential and uh, they're just waiting for it to, to unleash and be maybe a little bit more consistent uh, over the course of a season. But he's, he's all-star material, James Carr, no doubt about it. Uh, strong, powerful, scores cracking goals. Oh, only cracking goals. Only cracking goals. Uh, so he's a real option for them there. And you also have Tommy Conroy to come back into the whole thing as well. So. Yeah. I mean, they're in a really good spot. Um, but there's a huge depth of talent in Mayo. Like, their club championships are so strong as well. Um, so I think Kevin McStay will be very happy with where they're at. And not worried about Kerry? Or is this like a little I don't Kerry think in the so. gold mine? Yeah, I think Kerry have so much quality as well that you, I don't know, would you be worried? But it's interesting to hear Jack O'Connor speaking about what Shane says there at the six-point mark. Mm. I mean, the All-Hartland champions just looking to get to six points and stay safe in the league, but... It's a difficult one when you're All-Ireland champions. You've got the team holiday and you've got the different bits and pieces to do over the winter time. And Obviously, they would have enjoyed their All-Ireland, but they, they will be getting that hard work into the legs, you would think, at this stage rather than the little bit earlier that, that the likes of Mayo maybe and Roscommon have done. But they'll be fine. They'll be fine. And uh, I think, you know, Kerry are still probably out there in front as favourites. Dublin look to be playing within themselves in Division 2. I, I suppose maybe... I don't know, they're playing at a certain level now, but they, that was a cracking game yesterday in Parky Cueve. Um, but they, they'll be there, thereabouts, you would think, as well. And like Jack McCaffrey, when he surges through for that last point, you're like, he's never been away. He's pretty quick, isn't he? Yeah. He's pretty quick. Who wins Connacht based on what you've seen so far? It's a good question. I think uh, you're looking at that first game between Mayo and Roscommon has been potentially decisive but I think there's very little to choose between Mayo, Galway and Roscommon and then on the other side I'd be obviously hoping that Sligo can mm. get through to the final and through to the All-Ireland series I think that um, I'd be disappointed if Sligo didn't get promotion from Division 4 from here um, but yeah I think well I mean on, on current form you'd have to say Roscommon or yeah. they're, they're right there team to beat yeah and Roscommon and Mayo is going to be a very interesting game in the, in the round robin series in the league and if they meet in the final again there's no love lost there, you know, between those Roscommon, Mayo and Galway. So. I, was, I was talking to a lad from Roscommon uh, last week and they absolutely hate Mayo. Oh, like, yeah. But like, I hadn't realised the victory on the level. But I, I, I thought it was just this, this friendly like local rivalry, but it, it's it's hate. Like, genuine hate. How do you feel about Tyrone? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. I'm going to bite my lip. 
Um, but but how, how Tyrone and Monaghan feel about each other is probably different because Tyrone probably feel the rivalry is with traditionally I exactly. Guess, Armagh, that's whatever. why Monaghan hate Tyrone even more. Yeah, they don't even they don't respect <laughs> it. Exactly. Right. Mayo are like Don Draper. They don't even think about Roscommon. Do you think so? I think oh. they think about Roscommon more now well, only than they on did. The, only on the Mayo side of the border. But the rest of Mayo are like, we don't even care about you. What are you talking about? But Galway We're hit looking Mayo. Up. Galway also hit Mayo. So yeah. th- it's like all the Connacht counties. I don't know how Sligo feel about Mayo. Cause yeah, I mean, yeah, look in Mayo every time you <laughs> So all the Connacht counties hit Mayo. Yeah. Well, you see, it's a very small province where you're playing each other all the time, so that rivalry builds up. Yeah. Got to ask about John Ram. The form that he's in at the moment is as good as any golfer has ever been in, ever, really. Yeah, 100%. He's the favourite for the Masters now. There's no question about it. Um, very impressive again this week. Got it done. It was tied at one stage in the back line last night and he, he gets it done. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that uh, you feel is fulfilling his potential now and has the potential to dominate, I think, if he keeps at it. He's only 28, so he is that little bit younger than Rory McIlroy as well. Um, favourite for the Masters, undoubtedly. And... You know, is it a little bit early to maintain your form from now until then? I'm, I think he can keep it going. You'd prefer to be in his form than Rory's form at the moment, though, wouldn't you? Probably. I mean, McElroy won't be overly concerned. He's already won this season um, a couple of weeks ago in Dubai. So, I mean, really, all the players, whatever you do in this part of the season, definitely if you're at McElroy and Rams level... It doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, one of your eyes is on Augusta. Yeah. Pretty much from the turn of Christmas to then, so... Uh, they don't really, they won't read too much into it. But from a European point of view and Ryder Cup point of view, it's great to see Ram taking a more central position on the world stage and you know dominating at the moment. Luke Donald lost somebody else to live over the weekend. He did. I can't even remember who it was now. I remember just reading that oh, Luke Donald's going to be a playing captain at this stage. They're all yeah. irrelevant now, aren't they? He's played okay actually so far this season. Luke Donald and Porrick Harrington, <laughs> I think, tied for second on the Champions Tour last night again. So <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows? But. Um, yeah, I mean, that's going to come into Thomas focus Peters. again. Sorry, mm. it was Thomas Peters who okay. was apparently on the verge of... Um, yeah, I've kind of I've watched the first two episodes of that uh, documentary on Netflix. It hasn't got into the live stuff yet. Um, what do you make of it so far? I, I haven't started yet. A little bit underwhelmed by it. A little bit underwhelmed. But I've only got two, two episodes, so I won't cast judgment yet. But um, uh, there's some clips of Ian Poulter, like, teasing the next episodes, throwing stuff around the locker room and stuff like that. So uh, maybe that's going to be there, but... Who, who knows what's going to happen <laughs> with the Ryder Cup? All right. Who knows? Anything else? Well, should mention uh, Israel Anatunda this weekend as well. Broke the 60 metres record. Um, Irish athletics is in a brilliant place. Mm. And we've got some brilliant ambassadors as well, haven't we, for the sport? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. His celebration after after winning the race and realising the time was unbelievable. He just started legging it around the, the track. Even faster. <laughs> Way faster than he'd run, well, not really. But, and then he falls down, clearly with the worst cramp you, you'll ever get. Really? I yeah. thought he was badly injured for a second, because yeah. he just collapsed. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's smiling, he had a smile on his face, so terrible cramp. But uh, wow. <laughs> he injured himself in the celebrations, never yeah, mind. The, fantastic. The brilliant. Fair play to him. All right, good stuff, Carl. Thanks, Thanks for that. Cheers. Uh, up next, Anthony Moyles looking back at the weekend's Gaelic football action. First, here's Brian Kerr talking about why he thinks Manchester United are now serious title contenders. Is there a chance he could win the Premier League title in his first season in charge? Well, they're in with a shout now, aren't they? I mean, we're 22, 23 matches into the league, and 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 they're they're in contention. Their rivals have shown weak. Like we, they're on the best run of any team since the World Cup break. Yeah, they've, they've twenty-three they've, points. Yeah, they're top of the form table. 
Arsenal and Man City have, I know Arsenal got back to their winning ways and I, I wouldn't be writing Arsenal off from the way people were midweek but those two sides have shown weaknesses this season that's right and um, you know Manchester City will have that focus will be back on about the Champions League with RB Leipzig coming up um, Arsenal don't have the same problem They've, they won't play until the next round of Europa League but even the Europa League won't be as big as challenge although I don't think they've got the depth of the squad Arsenal really but they played our midweek team in the Europa League, which usually involves five or six of the main players with some of the backup players. And that should be good enough for to get them through in the Europa League games as it goes on. Ma- Manchester United are in a similar position, um, whereas Manchester City's focus is going to be very much on the Champions League, I would think. And they don't have a huge squad. They've got a, maybe a real quality up to about 18 players, I think, Manchester City. But yeah, it'll be a very interesting uh, finish to the season now because of Manchester United's improvement and the and the, and the the slight fall off from uh, both Manchester City and Arsenal. But you know, as it stands at the moment, Arsenal are still ahead, City not far behind, and Manchester United up there with them. They're in the race. Thank you, in Brian. the race for sure, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They are absolutely in the race there. Uh, don't listen to any of the Man United fans in your life saying they're not. Now, Anthony Moyles is with us to look back and try and make some sense from an interesting weekend of Gaelic football action that um, maybe later in the year we look back and go, ah, OK, that, that something started to emerge there. Um, in terms of the list of things where you're thinking of, like, are Mayo performing? Is Kerry not performing? Are the Dubs getting players back? Is that more important than the fact that actually they still look fairly open and not quite sure of their identity? What's um? What are your takeaways in the weekend? Uh, where do you want to go first? <laughs> Mayo. Yeah, let's do. Let's yeah. do Mayo. I thought. I thought. You know, I. I, I don't think. Um, two things. I don't think Kerry will be too worried. Um, I think Jack O'Connor will be saying to himself, right. Um, with Cork, Cork are definitely a different outfit than they were the last number of years, right? So he's saying to himself, Munster is not going to be the cakewalk as it has been over the last number of years so I definitely need my big guns back they were way off at pace wise like I mean you know slow they need to quicken things up massively um, you could just see them there was a there was a real lack of energy with Kerry in the first half but you know you flip it I think they were 17-4 down at one stage and then Mayo, like if 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 Mike Stay, and I'm sure they will look at it. People getting all you know really enamoured about Mayo's performance. Yes, it was good first half. They cut them open, but Kerry were at six and sevens. Um, really, really poor. You know, really silly things coming out of defence and just hoofing ball. Um, we we warned last week about O'Sullivan, and I said, well, let's see if the mockers gets put on him, and let's see how he performs. And that's what happened. The Mayo defence tightened up, um, and I'm not saying like I mean it, it's a it's a hard harsh lesson for a fella to learn. You know, you get man the match one week and then you get whipped off the second time. And look, he'll bounce back from it, and that's going to be a measure of him if he can. Um, but the Hessian was put on to uh, Paddy Clifford, and that was a good move by Mayo. So they got good matchups. They obviously recognised that as, as again as we spoke about in the last game that Clifford obviously is the quarterback role, dropping deep, and they just put Hessian on him, and Hessian went everywhere and did a really good job on him. So I, I wouldn't be. I could see Max Day and the lads. Rochford was saying, you know, the second half there was there was spells where we were poor because they went a long time. I think they went over twenty minutes without a score in that second half. Uh, Mayo, you know, and they only kicked two fifties and I think on one or two other points. Um, so 
Kerry brought on the big, the bigger guns. So Clifford and O'Shea come on, and all of a sudden there's pandemonium. <laughs> you know, so obviously to bring that quality, but you could see the rest of the players raise their games around them. So the rest of the fellas are, you know, all of a sudden there's a bit of energy in the team. Um, and even though the game was done and dusted, um, you'd kind of look at it and go, okay, now he's getting a bit close. I'd say he probably only had four or five starters of a team that you would expect to be the All Ireland kind of team that 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 they'll push through in the first round of the championship. Uh, even then, sorry, the like because notwithstanding the fact that they're going to have a game against Cork in Munster, oh. it doesn't actually matter either because after that we're going into then there's a round robin and in that round robin only one team in your group of three is going to be eliminated. So even then, even then. you still have loads of room to get yeah. to. So the quarter final team in the All Ireland is still you know. 12, 12, 13, 14 weeks away. He's got plenty of time to, to get those guys in. And, and plenty of time. Get to a level where they're managing themselves. I think so. And, you know, they probably... It, 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 is, it is the thing of the season. When you go, you win your All-Ireland, you celebrate, you go, you obviously have the club run that certain players had. Um, there's a hangover from it. You just have to get back at it. And then you have levels sometimes where you're trying to do an extra bit of work during the week. Yeah. So, that, you know, they might be doing four or five sessions during the week and all of a sudden they're coming in. That's what the McCurders did last year, we found out afterwards. Yeah, and you're trying to give new lads runs, you know, and just sometimes it just doesn't work out. And it's, and it's hard for fellas because you're coming in and and if you're coming in if you're a new fella and you're in with under 12 or 13 of the kind of experienced fellas but then you're saying actually I, I can show up here but when you've got seven or eight you know we're not you're not used to the patterns you're not getting the ball that maybe some other guys will give you um you're just and, and the performance is just down all of a sudden then the usual thing is you know fellas get whipped off and and it can be harsh you know it can be harsh on a guy trying to break in it's much easier to break in as a one or two into yeah. a, into a season squad so look I don't think Kerry will be too worried I think he has he has a realization that look, I need to get these back on the fellas back on the pitch now. I need to start up on the levels with regard to energy and fitness and da da da. Um, and I think Mayo would be wise not to get too far ahead of themselves because, as you know, I heard your boys talking earlier on. Connacht is no cakewalk, and the levels are being risen there in in every aspect. So I think McStay and them they'll realize that um, they are finding some patterns, you know, and the O'Shea thing in full forward and dropping out to eleven is causing mayhem. And he, what he's doing this time is. He's he's just he's just being a ball winner, and he's just he's then able to take the hits and transfer the ball off. He's not even thinking about really turning around and getting his own score, which he kind of felt a bit of pressure. I felt sometimes when he went in there before that he had to get scores as well. Actually, he should be just ball winning and just laying off the fellas coming fast at pace. So Mayo, but that that team, strangely enough, that team wasn't far off probably Mayo starting fifteen. Mm-hmm. I would feel, whereas Kerry were way off it. And it's no harm for Mayo though to get that level of confidence going early in the season they felt a little bit like they needed that uh, that those patterns of play you're talking about that Kerry will get later in the summer they have plenty of time to get to that Mayo don't really have plenty of time if they want to come through Connacht feeling good about themselves yeah, yeah absolutely no, they, they need to establish it early and they need to work on it early and you know what so what if anyone, if everyone notices they're doing it just just get it good have the pattern right have 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 a b you know a b a b passage to go to if needs be which they have because they can bring O'Shea out they but but no i think they may all be happy but i don't think Kerry will be overly worried can you read any sort of template into how to beat Kerry or is that reading too much into it 
I, I think it's reading too much into it. You know, their half-back line was weak. Morley, Morley, they had Morley doing his usual plus-one role. Um, and what really caught them was, and you can see it from Flynn's man-of-the-match performance, was this kind of a late run where you're coming in off the left-hand side and you're coming in and you're cutting across the middle of the pitch to get a ball handed to you. So what's happening is the ball's not going in for Morley to intercept, but what's happening is you're playing the ball in front of him. So he's then having to step up. And it's a very, very difficult thing as a sweeper if you need to step up but a guy is coming at pace and at an angle on you because all you can do there is you foul him and you're you're gone or you're on a black card or you have to try to step with him and it's very difficult because you're obviously in a stagnant position he's coming at you at pace and if that cross is done really well which pretty much for nearly all of his scores if you look at it it was all a similar type of pattern he was coming in onto his right foot at speed a ball transferred to him very very difficult to stop and what you have to, how you stop that is you stop it at source. And what had happened was Kerry had dropped back. And if you notice the scores, Mayo kind of stood away from them and then came at pace. And they do have strong, big runners like around the middle of the field. So, you know, there's no denying that. Yeah. And I think where they had that pace before from, from a deeper position, as in Keegan, you know, and, and the lads coming from, say, half back or full back even, they're now having it more from their half forward line. Their half-forwards before with McLaughlin lads used to be foragers. You know, they used to be lads in behind midfield. Whereas now I think they're actually saying, well, actually, we've big men and we've big fast men in that half-forward line who can actually be a little bit further up the pitch and who can come at the ball and angle. I mean, I'm, like, if you've, if you've a mass defence or even a block defence, if you've a fellow coming at you six foot two, six foot three, with power and speed, there's very little you can do there. Very, very little. Uh, and even when he goes down with a tackle, it's generally free, you know? They'll have Russ Common potentially to contend with in, in Connacht, and we've been. I mean, we've. I certainly have been raving about Davy Burke for, for quite some time. He's uh, he's an excitable character on the on, on the touchline for sure. But whatever he's doing with Russ Common, it's working. Yvenda Smith, who's imperious yesterday. Yeah. Uh, ben O'Carroll deserves a mention as well. But um, I mean, three wins from three. They're they're fairly unstoppable at the moment. Yeah. Um I thought Armagh were poor. Yeah. I thought I thought Armagh were poor. I th- I'd say McGinney will be absolutely he'll be lightning into them this week because they did things that is very ar- un Armagh like mm. you know kicking the ball up in the air, just giving ball away, being very sloppy, and again a kind of a lack of energy. Whereas Roscommon brought all the energy every single time a Roscommon man was on the ball, he had two or three options off his shoulder. Fellas running for him, fellas out in front, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Roscommon always had really, really good, silky forwards who could kill you on, on, on their day. But the worry was, were they doing enough coming back and helping out and the work rate and different stuff like that? And that would have been thrown at them a little bit. Mm. They had a young midfield, they had a decent kind of, a, a spine, which was young. But I'm telling you, they're, 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 they're coming of age and what he has brought into them is a work ethic and they are all working for each other. And whereas before, you know, when push came to shove, they may have just not made that run back, they're making those runs now. I don't think anybody feels like they're guaranteed their position in the team. I, I, I'm sure he knows his first 15 very well, but uh, he's not letting them think that they're guaranteed a place in the team, which is very difficult to do. You're creating depth, like, and all the the management teams talk about trying to create that, but he's legitimately, you you be man of the match one week, you're not starting the next week, you know, um, and calling players out for missing chances after games doesn't happen very much, you know, casually enough, but yeah. uh, as I call it... Um, 
So I don't know. I, but very, it's the right thing to do, Jim. Very impressive character. Yeah, uh, but it's the right thing to do because, you know, there's there's too much uh, in management these days of, you know, that everything is all, you, you know, it has to be, it has to be, the message has to be given in, 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 in a certain way and in a nice way so we don't upset. Like, I mean, these lads are as professional as it comes, right? So you have to take the knocks and you have to stand up there. And by the way, if you make miss a mistake or you, 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 you know it yourself. So yeah. you put your hand up yourself and you go... Actually, that's my fault. But what was interesting yesterday, I saw Cox came on. Um, and I'm not saying he's not that type of player, but he wouldn't be a fellow who would be racing back. But he, he had a chance. He got turned over. Um, and his first instinct, and I've, I haven't seen this in a while, but his first instinct was to, was to chase back. And he chased all the way back nearly to the corner back position. Now, it was just a small little thing, but it just said to me, as a fellow coming on who probably would have been one of their main forwards the yeah. last number of yeah. years, was a sub, and is now saying to himself, oh, I made a, I made a mistake there. I need I to go back it. and chase back. Exactly. Mm. That's, 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 a, that's a change in culture in the team, you know? Um, and you can see that through throughout the squad. We're, like, we're not saying Roscommon are All-Ireland contenders, but we are saying that they're going to give the, the All-Ireland contenders their fill of it in at least around Robin and maybe in a knockout game. Big that's time. what that's what they should be aiming for this year. Absolutely, and I think they can play it either way. Which you know they could, they've, they've come up against obviously defensive teams. They've come up against teams in a shootout. They can if they get into a big pitch. They've as I say they've plenty of space. They've plenty of forwards. They've a good half back line that can come up and kick scores. I like Doyle yesterday, midfielder number nine. Yeah, you know young lad, but man, he 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 was getting stuck in. He 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 made some vital little kind of just. Certain roles that he did yesterday and certain plays that he did yesterday were just vital for the team, but can go unnoticed. Like dirty ball winning, you know, winning winning balls from sidelines where he had to come and win it amongst three men, and 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 fellas hopping off him, and he was still able to stand off, stand up and win it. He won a few big kickouts when he needed to do. Um, so yeah, they're gelling really, really nicely. McGinney, I don't think McGinney will throw the toys out of. Oh, well, sorry, he will throw the toys out of pram. He yeah. most definitely throw the toys out of pram this week. He's a, he's a good few injuries, but I felt. Up front, they had O'Neill's number a bit, and then I felt they were very, very light up front. Our man, mm. I was kind of going, "Where are the scores going to come from here?" You know, Duffy had his four, but then should have given the ball off as well to Grugan at one point for a goal. Should have, they should have. They could have had one or two, but I still don't think they deserve to win the game. No, you know, I just don't think. They, I, th- I thought they were a bit sloppy yesterday. It's all positive shoots. Like we shouldn't be surprised that Davy Burke would would breed success. He had, I know he had the All Ireland under twenties with Kildare and won a championship, I think, with Sarsfield as well in Kildare, and then gets into inter county management, which is different, but. Mark McHugh in the backroom team as well. There is an importance there that y- you have lads in the backroom team that, that inspire the team. Look, there seems to be positive shoots coming coming out of the, the rest coming backroom team. But um, I don't know. They're just it, it's the it's the way in which they're winning games as well. Anthony, we were talking earlier about the fact that you know they're three points down to Tyrone. They score three second half goals. They score five the last the, the five last points against Galway as well. So it's the manner of the victories as well I think yeah well again that goes back to the the. Uh, I mean culture is, is thrown around a lot but it goes back to the, the environment that he has created amongst the squad they obviously are all fighting for each other they're all fighting for a place so when you get a fella coming off the bench He's now going. This is an opportunity for mm. me. This is an. I have to come in here. I, first of all, I have to do my job. Second of all, I have to try to excel in doing that job. And third, I have to try to get the eye of the management team. And you're right about uh, McHugh. You could see the emotion at the end of the game. That was a bit more than normal. That was. You Six told points. me. You told me what to do here. Yeah. Burke tipping his hat to McHugh about obviously the rivalry obviously he would know very well with Armagh and it worked um, and you could you could get a sense there you know that, that it was like we had a plan for this and it, and it came through which is, which is positive uh, Dublin beat 
Cork in a topsy-turvy game. They needed a last-second save to prevent um, a 77th minute or 78th minute goal for uh, Cork, which would have given Cork an unlikely and maybe undeserved. But at the same time, Dublin had this game home and hosed. Then had a man sent off and all of a sudden Cork back in it, having already had a man sent off themselves. Um, So I I don't know what to take from Dublin's performance. Yeah, it's a strange one. Um, You don't want to talk about referees and you don't want to... But, uh, you know, I think think, uh, throughout the weekend, I don't know what happens. It's like referees are nearly given a memo to kind of ref the league in a certain manner because some of the yellows some of the cards you're just kind of going oh Jesus you know there has to be a level of intensity in the game there has to be even for the crowd even for the players and when you're when you're filtering that out so much um, you know people say oh, oh it's really a championship pace now or oh, it's championship now it's tougher it shouldn't be that way like the league is as much and as important as the championship is and you have to be able to test yourself and there has to be that level of physicality has to be allowed mm-hmm. so not that and that's not even by the way about the cork uh, Dublin game. It's just, it's just throughout games yeah. that I watched over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I thought Cork Cork would be sick. Um, I think they deserve something more out of the game. Um, when Maguire got sent off, I think Dublin kicked four or five scores to go five up. So they made hay, you know, kind of like the sin bin and rugby. They really made sure they made hay. And that was actually a gap that Cork then never really managed to get back yeah. themselves. Um they probably could have had at least another two goals. Like Hurley's was a great, unbelievable save at the end, but like the, the, square, the square ball, square ball never square ball. You know, I know. I can hear you. Like, there's no need to ban the square ball because you've literally got yeah. two sets of eyes standing within three meters of it. Who one could look as the ball's coming? Yeah, you know, a ball, a high ball in. Just, just watch where the players are. It's not that difficult. No, you know, it really isn't. But let's um, not even go there. But uh, I, uh, what what Farrell I think will worry about. Um, I think he will worry about two things. I think he will worry about that he has not yet got a forward to carry the mantle because Costello just isn't doing it for me. You know, he got a point yesterday. He should be... Like, if you think back to Bernard Brogan or if you think back to, you know, the the the, the lads in the last number of years with, with Dublin that were really shooting the lights out for them they were always doing it in the league as well. So there hasn't yet been... Like, Paddy had to kick four or five points in that game. Paddy would have, yeah. You, you know. know, and Bernard would have got his thing. Alan, you know, you see, you're, you're kind of relying still on Dean with the freeze. You know, Khan comes in and kicks a few. Kilkenny looks a little bit off it for me. He was very poor for the goal uh, where they where they transitioned the ball down the field. He's actually ahead of uh, the Cork fella who gets on the end of it and he just can't get back. You actually see him, he just can't. The Cork guy burns him on the inside and, and, and the same little happened in the second goal um, because Scully did the same thing he was ahead of the Cork guy he sees it they're all ball watching and a ball comes in behind so they're a little bit sus- I think they're a little bit open at the back um, Hurley would gave an absolute master class yeah. yesterday like a master class he had Mickford Simons in absolute six and sevens and they're playing this one on one at the back you know they're playing listen you have them we trust you to have them so they're not really like John Small is marking now whereas John for the last number of years used to play that plus one role he's now marking 11 and he had his fill of a powder. I thought Cork were really, really good. They were electric when they got the ball up front. Their five and seven are really solid. The six is a solid player. They have a lot of pace in the team. Yeah. Um, and, and they would be sick that they lost that. And I have to say, like the referee's decision at that particular time, Maguire's a big player for yeah. them. He's a massive player for them. And 
It but probably cost the red again. cards, which I mean, the, the, so a square ball goal and the red card, yeah. and the, those, as you say, get the leads. And I, I know. I and another back. ball came in near the end, not too far with the other midfielder yeah. plucks it. He, he he was in square, but he jumps out of the square, catches the ball. Now I'm not sure of a particular rule, like is the rule where you start? I don't know, but anyway, he lands and it's a free. And you're kind of thinking there was a bit of mayhem there that could have yeah. ended up with a score. And again, it's tight margins, you know. Uh, is the fact that the dubs get. McCarthy back and Fenton embedded in the team after travelling and then obviously uh, McCaffrey is back and looks like McCaffrey and they yeah. still, they still have money more to like come. his dad every year isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think like I mean you could see the energy levels straight away like James comes on you know throws himself about gets a good score yeah. you know kind of stamps his authority in midfield uh, um you know, McCaffrey comes on and instantly you can see the energy levels go up, gets a score, you know, and again is, is buzzing around the place. And it is what they need. They've, they, I think they've missed massively that half-back, you know, the overlapping where they used to just come at that electric pace and yeah. no one could stick with them. And and, and the, the, the plays were set up that eventually there would be a ball over the top and they'd be just coming right through and go. And of course, they haven't had merch in either for that really, really electric pace off the, off the, so off the wing. not panic just yet? I don't think so, but I think... Like, he has tried a number of lads in that forward line, right, in that full forward line. And, you know, Pascal has been in there. I can't remember the lad who was in there yesterday. I think... Um, McGarry was it um, um, but they just haven't they just haven't gelled and they just haven't got scores you Derry, know. did Derry beat them on Saturday week up, up there the way Derry are playing I mean it's, it's hard to, I think I think the bookies have them as Ulster favourites already they still have a few lads to come back Paddy Small's yet to come back yeah. you know and Paddy Small um, is, is and Davy Byrne will come back in I would imagine into that full back line so you still have a few Merchant will come back in so you've, you've, there's three players straight away like Paddy Small bar injury Paddy probably would have been view- looking at this league campaign as a real campaign to start setting his mark because he's left foot he's different you know he can come in off yeah. the other side but that is going to be a cracker like Derry Derry are playing at a level now where it's not even that they're playing unbelievable football, but they are just playing like a machine. They know exactly what they're at and what they're about, and they know their game plan inside out. Inside out. And if you fall into the trap, which they lure you into, they'll just eat you up all day. But they can be got at. They can be got at. I noticed like people are saying Mead were bad. Mead could have had three goals in that second half. Um, and actually, I would say Gallagher could sit back and look and say, actually, we were opened up a few times there. And if Mead had a little bit more composure about themselves, they could have had three goals in the second half. But, you know, the game was dead and buried at that stage. But if you fall into the trap of giving the ball back to Derry, good luck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about Mead again. Pretty disappointing first half. Very disappointing. And that's what I'm saying. They like, fell into the trap. Yeah, and, and what they tried to do is they tried to replicate what they have been doing, which has been kind of working. But we mentioned it last week, and we mentioned it, or two weeks ago, we mentioned it before. They were conceding a lot. So they were giving the ball to teams, and the, their defensive structure, I believe, is not set up yet, right? They, they are one-on-one. They don't really have a defensive midfielder. <laughs> and yet, they're, and so they're getting open by teams. Like, Cork should have put 220, 221 on them. Clare could have had 17, 18, 19 points on them. So... If you give the ball to Derry, Derry won't kill you on a shooter, but what they'll do is they'll just make sure you don't get the ball back. Yeah. Um, and what they'll do is they'll just grind you down, they'll get their scores, and then they'll set up. Um, and you know when it was kind of all done done and dusted, they then realised, actually, we probably have to run this ball. And at that stage, it was too late. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Anthony. Thanks a million. No bother, lads. That's uh, this week's Allianz National Football League conversation. You can get more on the football pod as well. But don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily later today in your OTV podcast network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby every day. 
It's all in partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo have some great bundles and deals to enjoy with the rugby. So open the app, make your choice and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Uh, on OTV Sports Radio today, Colin Gooch Cooper at 1 o'clock, Splunk at 3, the Dublin Dons classic documentary at 4 and Joe meets Sherlock Nan from 6. The show is live tonight with Joe bringing you Monday Night Rugby and much more besides. OTV AM Off the ball. How much bigger is Celtic than Leeds? Oh, you having that, Cameron? Not at all, no. I would really? say we're probably about the same, like, no given the historic. Happening. Really? What? I'm glad but, I'm what? in between the two of you here. No, I respect Leeds. I absolutely do. But no, I, I wouldn't think oh, that they the history. are on the same years level. Years of history. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Alan Quinlan is with us at 60 minutes past nine on Monday morning. Um, we can talk about the games the weekend and, and who's putting their hands up for selection and all that kind of stuff. But the whale situation, uh, like, I mean, the competition for the worst run rugby uh, organisation in the world. Wales are winning this hands down at the moment. There's a real possibility that there will be a strike. Yeah, and that would be a disastrous situation for everyone, I think. Um, you have to feel sorry for, for, for them. The question I would ask is, the deal that's been offered to the regions, which hasn't been signed yet, obviously has a knock-on effect then with what budgets each of the teams have to sign up players and, and get their playing squad for, 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 for next season. Um, the offer, obviously, is is not what it's expected. It's this cuts. Um there either isn't the money there or they're offering them rubbish money. So someone needs to clarify that. Obviously, I think it's the the obvious part of this is that the money is not there. So the players striking and all the turmoil that's going on, are they going to get more money out of that? I don't know, but it's a sad state of affairs and it's it's a shame for for all those guys. I know what it's like when not not be worrying about the mortgage at, and come June or July that you're out of contract but t- the last couple of years it does play in your mind when you're getting you know one year contracts when, and, and what time of the year does the one year contract they, come they usually start and I, um, you know you, you'd usually be talking um, November December if you're if you're very much wanted and you're a certainty that the club wants you to sign so they usually get their business done before Christmas particularly in the international squad you know January the end of January then is your cutoff point for provincial players or, or or older players and you know finalizing the squad and and stuff like that. But when you if you go into February, I think maybe my last year I might have went into February. It becomes worrying because um, I wanted to play on another year and you know there was a few t- situations kind of impeding that and uh, a couple of options to go to leave and go somewhere else so I was just on the uncertainty totally different situation these guys are young players some of them some of them young players who don't know so the, basically Jared, they should have had their contracts kind of agreed pre-Christmas or yeah. the start first week or two of January you can relax then you sign your two year contracts and you know that you have that bit of security Taking the pay cut isn't the big, big, biggest part of this because inevitably after the pandemic and the Welsh Rugby Union being under pressure financially, the pay cut isn't the big issue here. It's the actual security of not having any contract. So it's very, very difficult for those players. And I can see, you know, someone like Adam Wynne-Jones is 37 probably, you know, has 
is fairly financially okay. He would have done well out of the game. He would have been a top earner for a long time. He would have been, you know, got the bonus of the international match fees, British and Irish lines, tours, you know, the payments from them, lots of sponsorship stuff. So, but I like the fact that he's not even Welsh captain at the moment, but he's out in the forefront um, fighting for these players and speaking on their behalf. And it's not just the international Welsh players. It's the, the players in, in Cardiff and Scarlets, Ospreys, the Dragons. You know, you look at the game Friday night, Munster v Ospreys. You couldn't but feel, even I was at the game at the start of the game, that... You know, meeting some of the Ospreys guys that I would have known, some of the coaches, you couldn't just feel the def- deflation before the game. Not with the game that's ahead, but just the whole mood and feeling in, in Welsh rugby at the moment. You know, Dragons on Sunday as well, or um, in Saturday night for, for Leinster, you know, you just you just feel that it's it's a really tough place for him at the moment. And, and it's a shambles. If the game doesn't go ahead, it's an absolutely... Catastrophe because yeah. you're looking at all the revenue that the, the international and Cardiff generates at the weekend, what the Welsh Rugby Union would make out of it. Um, but I th- hopefully it'll be sorted out. The Alwyn Jones thing's remarkable, isn't it? Like, I know, I think he's a law degree, which he's having to put to good yeah, use at the moment, yeah. but showing unbelievable leadership. Like, this could be one of the things that, aside from his rugby career, if he helps resolve this situation and he is clearly putting himself front and centre of the whole thing. He's going to be remembered for this as well if he can resolve it. Yeah, but he's a, he's been a leader for for Wales for such a long time. He's um, he he's been captain on so many so for so many years for Wales, and it doesn't surprise me. I played against him a good few times before I retired. Um, all I got to know him very well. He's that type of character. He's a real leader, and uh, he wouldn't be thinking about himself here about what kind of a contract he's getting or if he's staying on or playing on. Um, but. I think it's important you have an, a, a voice there and I'm sure they'll be trying to sit down and, and sort this out in the next few days but it's sad to see it because um, I've spoken a lot in the last few years the, the Welsh regions we, we want them strong we want them competitive um, I think the system here in Ireland is is you know um, the envy of a lot of countries the way the, the set up the natural progression into the the four provinces here worked really well when when rugby went professional. Yeah, they tried. They're trying to emulate the same scenario with the Ospreys and Scarlets. The former Scarlet, you know, they were Clenetly. Their Scarlets, you know, the Dragons were Newport. Um, the Ospreys were they were Neat and Swansea who came together. So um, financially, I think the pandemic definitely has uh, had an impact on their finances and and their governance, but. You think that this is going on a lot? A, this crops up every few, few years, um, and I don't know what the outcome. Do they get a loan off the IRB uh, from World Rugby, or you know, do they get a financial institution to fund them more? But it's very difficult to ask certain players who are of the international standard to sign contracts and stay for massive reductions yeah. when they can go to France or England um, and get you know. Yeah. It's a short career and rugby is much more physical. It's not like soccer in the Premiership. Where no, and they, they had that cap rule. It's very that difficult. Yeah, they need to change. I think that's really important. Um, the 60 cap rule would... would, would it looks like they're talking about changing it. Yeah, I think it's on the table to right. reduce it to maybe 30, uh, 30 caps, which would be much more beneficial. At it. And it'll allow players to go abroad. There may be a reduction in the number of regions from four down to three. Um 
So I don't know. I think the deadline is Wednesday for the match at the weekend. Um, but that would be a catastrophe if that did, game didn't go ahead. Yeah, it would screw up their whole championship, really. Like, yeah, there's that's 70 why. players, when you think of it, out of contract in Wales. 70, Jeez. which is a lot. So they're all the players in, in the regions as well. So when I say I meet, meet ex-guys I played with at Ospreys are now coaching with, with, the, with, with the Ospreys, on Friday night, and to say they're deflated, there's coaches under pressure here as well. And it's Not coming through players. in the performances. Like it is, yeah. How can you go out to a game like that? Munster hadn't a raft of internationals back from 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 the Irish squad to say that that was the f- reflection of the scoreline. Munster played really well, and their pace and tempo and everything was really good. And they probably win the game anyway. But I just think it would it, it, the mood. In in the Ospreys group, I think it, it would affect them because those some of those players are out of contract and they don't know, and they're probably the ones more worried because uh, the international players will probably get options. Yeah, um, it's the but it's next the, tier it's, down. It's the, if they get an injury, they're screwed because you know absolutely there's yeah, just there's absolutely. no out for them. Yeah, so it's yeah. a really difficult, sad situation that um, hopefully gets resolved and they find the finances to. And a common ground and a middle ground that they can agree a deal. Let's talk about Munster. Yeah, the work rate impressed you. The the fact that they're getting up fast. I, again, difficult to read too much into a game where you win fifty eight three, but everybody's playing to a pattern. Everybody understands what their role is. They all seem to be working for each other, and the turnaround in their fortunes is clear to see. And it's evidence based as well. So um, I think you you go back to the end of. November. Even go back to the South Africa game in Cork, I think they played 11, 12 games, including that, up to the end of January. And they won nine of those. They lost three, two to Toulouse and, and one to Leinster, um, compared to the start of the season. So the thing I would have noticed the other night being at the game, um, not commentating, but just watching, was the work rate of players trying to get into shape when something else is happening on the left-hand side. There's a far quicker movement in getting organised and being ready. And, you know, there's players working really hard, coming from one side of the field to the other, to get into attack mode and be an option, even if it, even if you're not getting the ball. So they're much fitter. Um, I think they know what they're doing more and they're up to speed. So they're a very good side to watch now, which yeah. they couldn't have said that a few years ago. On occasions we saw it. In, under Johan van Grand's era but now um, they're a side that, that seem to be well organised know what they're doing a lot of the players are playing consistently well Yeah, um, they look excited about getting the ball wanting the ball um, so it's much better much 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 better I, I've spoken about Connacht for years Connacht have been kind of looked like a team and you know, obviously some of the results have been Inconsistent, and they haven't made playoffs and, and Europe in the last couple of seasons, and they'd be disappointed with that. But being a good side to watch um, is one thing; you have to get results. So I think Munster's results—they've gone from 14th in the table up to fifth. Um, you know, Connacht are gone into the playoffs now, yeah. position which is a big turnaround for them as well, given where they were in the table. So both Munster and Connacht were struggling. Leinster and Ulster were at the top of the. The group throughout the, the you know the campaign so far, so um, you know I think Munster were so much better and their attack is so much better. And just to, if anybody's wondering how Johan van Graan is getting on, his team are bottom of the Premiership in England. Uh, they're the worst team in it. Just I mean, like this guy was supposed to get a new contract. The RFU thought he was doing a great job. 
Yeah, well, I think, look... Um, we can laugh at the Welsh. You know, <laughs> oh, that, that rugby, that's really badly run. But, like, yeah. they, well, I, the RFU were going to give him... But I think Johan van Graan, on, I, I think Stephen Larkham's... You talk about attack. Stephen Larkham was brought in to develop the attack in Munster. And so, uh, this seems like constantly, it was constantly, a pair constantly of the asking about the attack and what happened. Yeah, so um, they've moved on from that. And yeah. I think they're 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 now it's Bath's problem. Well, it's for Munster now. Their their attack is so much better. They've got the Scarlets next and next, and then Glasgow two more home games, um, and then they've got to go to South Africa. Connacht had this South Africa stuff at the start of the season, which really hampered them and and put them in a difficult position. But I think it's brilliant that they're back. Uh, they've played played 14, won 7, lost 7. But I think if you run a, look at Connacht's run of games, they're, they're away to the Dragons next. They'll fancy their chances. Then they've got Edinburgh home. Benetton away is obviously going to be tricky because they'll have their internationals back. But it's a winnable game for Connacht. Then they've got Cardiff at home. And the last game is away in Glasgow, which is really difficult because... With the exception of Glasgow, they're all sides who are right beside them in the table. Yeah, and they're they're winnable games. You think the Glasgow one is the one that's going to be really difficult, uh, but I think there's the, the four of those. If if Connacht win those four games, they could easily be in the playoffs and in Europe, is which there, would be a massive turnaround. And great for recruitment. If, if of the course, yeah, and there's a lot of changes going on there about when the, within the coaching setup. Um, there's. A lot, of, some players leaving, more coming in as well, and a good number again. There's usually a big turnaround, and there seems to be again this year. So, um, it'd be brilliant for them. Um, I think it's the first time that we've. Do they need to just announce that we have the four Irish provinces in the top eight? Like as I said, Leinster and Ulster have been right up there right at the start of the season. Whether it'll stay like that, I don't know. It's going to be really difficult still for Munster um, and Connacht to to make playoffs and Europe. Yeah. Given that um, you know it's a very congested kind of area there, right down from you know from third right to to tenth there, you know it's pretty congested. Um, do Connacht just need to tell us what's happening with the coaching ticket and confirm everything and just get it? I think when they know, they'll probably tell us. I think it's very close. I think it's obviously coming. That's IRFU stuff and David Nusafora as well is is working with them. Um, it's. It's really important at this stage. I'm sure the decisions have been made. We're kind of heading towards the start of March. In, yeah. Well, that whole point that you made about like players want to know where they're going to be playing. Like you want the coach to. I know. think a lot of this stuff is 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 already done, um, or close to being finalised. And we may hear something this week or next week. I don't know, but it's it's around that time that it needs to yeah. to happen. But um, uh, yeah, there's a fair bit of change going to happen there, and. Their game was crazy at the weekend against Zebra. They probably had to pull away twice in that game. But, um, as I said, they've given themselves a real chance now um, by getting into 2-8 in the, in, the, in the table. The difficulty is, if someone like Cardiff don't make the top eight, um, they're head of their conference pool, well then, only the top seven. You, they've got to go into Europe as well. So, potentially, Munster or Connacht would have to finish seventh yeah, si- you know, sixth or seventh to be guaranteed. This but is a bit like the European Nations League that time with, with Kilban explaining exactly what I mean. <laughs> it's actually not as complicated okay. as you think. Okay, there's I, I the, get it. No, I, four yeah. pools. And we have to grandfather some of the teams in. And if 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 you finish top of that pool, like the Welsh 
group. Someone if Cardiff don't it. make the top eight and they finish top of their pool, they go, they qualify for Europe. Yeah. So someone drops out. I know I'm jumping the topic here, Connie. Is there any reason why Andy Farrell should not include Gavin Coombs against Italy? Well, he's making such a real compelling case that, um, you know, it's really interesting to, 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 to talk about and look at the Gavin Coombs situation. I think he's really benefited from uh, being in the Irish squad again, watching players. Uh, you talk about pace, tempo, constant involvements. I think he's really, really been unbelievably consistent since that, you know, that period in probably November, which was effectively only one game. Um, that he didn't play well along with a lot of other guys against the New Zealand selection um, probably didn't come out of the blocks firing before that at the start of the season like a lot of his comrades in Munster but the consistency and performances and the ability for him to even in really tough games where they've been under pressure I think he's having a lot of big moments without the ball as well making a lot of impact tackles Um Obviously scoring three tries the other night again, but I just think his his involvements have been become more regular throughout the game, and I I'm sure that's part of. So do you put him on the bench? <laughs> Looks we like played it the weekend. Well, when you're being released back, like it's a sign that they're sign that yeah. you're not under twenty three. But John Cooney may be preferred uh, at international level for for Farrell. Who did you say? Sorry, no, sorry, John Cooney. No, sorry. Um, I was getting confused there. Yeah, what was the Jack name of Conan? Sorry, Conan, the number eight. Yeah, but, but, but look, that would you would indicate that he's not been released back. Rory O'Connor made a very good point in the Independent of the weekend. He's talking about the fact that this is the fourth year in a row that Ireland have been drawn against Italy in the third round of fixtures, which means in terms of rotating players, you're not in the first group of two games or the last group of two games. So if if you don't pick someone against Italy. You're four weeks without a match, which is which is a fair point and one I hadn't thought of. Yeah. We, we, I think we had that conversation last week. Um, I, I I I get it, but at the same time, you know, um, they the periodization is perfect for these players. They you know they they knew that in advance, and they could have released players back to play a game. So you get two games in a row if that's what they decided. But it feels like he's going to pick the absolute strongest available team, and that there are going to be minimal changes this week. You do. I don't know. I. I. I it. It seems like that. Um, I think um, Gavin Coombs' performance the other night would certainly have. They would have taken note of that. They'll obviously play. They, he'll get feedback on that from the Irish selectors as well. Um, would have went back into camp yesterday. Maybe he will be involved on the bench. I don't know. Um, but then, even if they were thinking about that, would they release Jack Conan back as well to play a full game? For you know, so. Maybe it's not going to happen. It may not happen for, and this is this is a tough thing, for, probably for people to hear who were. And I'm a big fan of Gavin Coombs as well. It may not happen for Gavin Coombs till post World Cup yeah. that he goes on that run of even being in the team. It's five or six players in that kind of category at the moment. Do you think? Yeah, that, like being in the team and part of the next generation. Frisch. Even though, well, I I said on Friday talking to Adrian, I said you know the the talking about the depth and Johnny. Um, you know, Gary Ringrose, there's no like for like. And then I was like, Jesus, I forgot Anton Frisch because I'm not that familiar. He only started his first game again for Munster against South Africa. But he is someone who has a lot of similarities to Gary Ringrose. He's very physical. He's quick, great footwork. Even the physique is similar. Um, he's a really, really exciting player. And, and France are trying to claw him back for the last few months because they probably see that they missed an opportunity with this guy 
Um, and I think he's been brilliant. He's been really brilliant and really exciting player and one with a future in a, in a green shirt. He says he's committed and he wants to stay. Graham Rowntree was asked about it the other night, but I think he's a really exciting player as well. Last question. Do you want to see Ireland's strongest team or would you prefer to see a little bit of mix and match? I, I wouldn't... I'm not. I wouldn't be say, see a lot of mix and match, no, because I'd like to see a couple of changes, maybe th- th- two or three, but then, you know, you're you're six months out from the World Cup, really, and I think he's done a lot of changing and and chopping and changing in the last <coughs> couple of years and capped over thirty players, Andy Farrell. So the the preparation has been pretty good. Um, it depends. Like I think Gavin Coombs would have come into the conversation after last night, um, but I, I don't think the right thing to do is change a lot of players here. You cannot take this Italian side lightly, um, and I think they could come unstuck and really do damage to themselves. And again, you're giving some players one player for four weeks if they're not involved. So I wouldn't be in favour of big changes here. I'd be in favour of respecting Italy and putting out a strong squad. Okay. Uh, as right. strong as possible. We'll know the team by the time you're back with us on Friday. Thanks a million, Alan, for joining us this morning. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.